On the Pilot TV podcast this week, we're solving crimes from behind bars with Stanley Tucci in Inside Man on BBC One, being a thorn in the Galactic Empire side with Diego Luna in Andor on Disney Plus, and coming out of retirement to kill the shit out of a bunch of people with Jeff Bridges in The Old Man. And speaking of Jeff Bridges, the dude himself stopped by the podcast this week to share guitar tips with me. And Boyd had a lovely chat with Harry Lorty to discuss Industry Series 2. I'm James Dyer, and welcome to the Pilot TV Podcast, your weekly guide to every show that matters, and a podcast that is at least 800% cooler this week for having had Jeffrey Lebowski share the same rarefied air as us this week. The dude on this podcast! I'm so excited, I can't get over it. This isn't NARM, nor is it bowling, but there are rules, and one of them is, of course, that I'm accompanied by my two co-hosts, and first up, Pilot TV's very own Walter Sobchak. You want a toe? He can get you a toe. It's Boyd Hilton. Um, Yes, I am here and ready and uh, jealously got to speak to Jeff Bridges, frankly. It was exciting. utter bastard. Yes, that's fair. Also with us, of course, is our very own Donnie. She's out of her element. It's Beth Webb. Hello. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) And of course, you two may not agree that I am the dude of this particular dynamic, but that's like... Your opinion, man. <laughs> I mean, who are we to argue? Are you are you a good bowler? <sighs> no. Okay. No. So when I was at university, we used to do a thing where we would go quasar and bowling. There was a bowling alley and they had obviously the lanes and they also had quasar. And it was like literally like three pounds for quasar and bowling. And that was your whole evening. Ah. And I would win at quasar every single week. Top gun every single time. But when it came to bowling, fucked it. Uh, it's terrible. I have a tr- bowling trauma as well. Oh, because, God. Yeah. I want, I'd never, ever been bowling in my life until I was about, uh, it must have been 19, 18 or 19. Yeah. I, was like, I had a year abroad in America at the University of Massachusetts Amherst, and my friends there took me bowling. Yeah. <laughs> I'd never been in my life. I thought, this, is, this, this has got to be easy. It's got to be hey, fine. You were 19 you'd never been no, bowling? No, never been bowling. Okay. It just wasn't. It just never came up in the, yeah, I don't know. Just there was no bowling lane in my, in Ilford in Essex. And, you know, I mean, I don't think it, bowling came to us Essex until fairly recently. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I went bowling with him. And the first time I tried to bowl, it it literally flew up in the air, um, like next, like up vertically and landed about a foot from my leg. Oh my and it was humiliating. And I was saying, I felt completely humiliated, even though it was just bowling. They didn't give yeah. a shit. Like, some mild laughter. But I was devastated. Oh, and it was man. years before I ever went bowling again. I thought you were going to say it came straight down on no. you. No, I mean, it almost did. I just kind of get out of the way. Good but Lord. it certainly didn't go anywhere down by where it was supposed to go. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I'm just like consistently shit. I'm, I have to have the, the boundaries up. I uh, usually go for the ramp now as well. In the a, ramp, in a sh- really? The kids' yeah. ramp. But you know what? I can wear the hell out of a cardigan. So uh, <laughs> if the DJ and I have anything in common, it's our um, ability to work the hell out of some chunky knitwear. Fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. Um, okay, right. Well, shall we transition into what we've been watching? Mm. What have we been watching? Beth, what have you been watching while sitting in your chunky knitwear? Oh, well, this is a nice segue, actually, because I've had just a feel-good week of telly. You know, there's sometimes when you're like, do you know what? And I'll, I'll start by saying that the shows that we've had to review this week aren't necessarily what I chalk up as feel good <laughs> necessarily so I was like do you know what I'm going to counter this with just like what's the equivalent of a nice chunky nut jumper in television oh I've gone format berry there television television 
television form. So you watched Star Trek Next Generation. Interesting. <laughs> How did it go? Well, I think I watched the uh, the Star Trek Next Generation if the next generation was a geriatric generation in that I continue to watch Grace and Frankie. Huh. Still on a big uh, Grace and Frankie um first watch big fan um, I've said it before and I'll say it again it is like the equivalent of Gilmore Girls if they were the same age and that age was was 70 plus um, it's just lovely and Martin Sheen's great Martin Sheen gets to do some amazing stuff in it great supporting cast uh, love it I've just like charged through six seasons of it in the past like three weeks I think I've done a full expanse but you watch The Expanse. Uh, Amazing. Uh, Did you like it? I could say anything and he could... Uh... Yeah. yeah, he suddenly woke up. <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, so just, I'm just barraging through Grace and Frankie at the moment. It's just lovely. And I have also... Um, you, you might as well just take a quick nap uh, here, James, <laughs> because uh, I started watching the third season of Central Park on Apple TV+. Oh. Plus. So that Animation. is... Three for three, animation, <sighs> musical comedy. Yeah, it's, um, the full, it's the full gamut. The yeah. full trifecta, um, <laughs> guaranteed to just, just send James right to sleep. But, oh, what a lovely show. I know I've spoken about it before. Uh, from the creators of Bob's Burgers, with an absolutely astonishing voice cast of people. Um, Mr. Stanley Tucci, who uh, we'll be speaking about slightly later, plays an octogenarian millionaire lady. Um, who wants to buy the park and then there's the family themselves who live in the big house in Central Park which I think is just such a wonderful premise for a TV show but incredible voice cast you've got Catherine Hahn you've got Leslie Odom Jr you've got David Diggs so that's two Hamilton cast members <laughs> right there I do like David Diggs yes um, Catherine Hahn is just amazing and funny and interestingly so um, they swapped out Kristen Bell for season two because there was um, some backlash about the fact that um, her character is mixed race so yeah swapped out Kristen Bell but they brought her back for this season as Catherine Hahn's sister um, and they've really upped the level I wonder if they've brought in somebody to work on the songs the songs are incredible mm. like proper I would say like Broadway level song writing and showmanship and it's um, really wonderful and funny and sharp and catchy and just great little 20 minute episodes all on apple tv plus now i think uh really recommend it james will never watch it but that absolutely not that you can't and finally um because it wasn't in last week either so i got a bonus week i finished a league of their own did you finish it boyd yes oh i loved yes. it yes i well, loved it so much uh no i haven't finished it no sorry i'm about it. uh i've got two more episodes to go two more episodes yeah. to go yeah it's not a comedy is it no. Not at all. 100% not comedy. Yeah. No, it's a mildly, sometimes mildly amusing drama, yeah. emo emotional relationship drama. Yeah, yeah. there's quirks, yeah. Um, yeah. But it, is, it was not what I was expecting at all. I'm not going to go into what it was especially, but I think it is brilliant. Like yeah. a brilliant sports really show with loads of heart and sincerity and it is just brilliant and a really wonderful showcase of what Abby Jacobson can do outside of the show that made her, which was Broad City. Um, really excited to see. I don't know. It sort of sets it up for a second season. I don't know if it needs it. Maybe it would be nice to see those stories continue, but I... I think it could, yeah. yeah. Well, I haven't seen the finale, so... Yeah. Seen, but 
Um, I bet they wanted to. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I imagine so. I don't know how well it's done. It's so hard to tell if these things are like successful yeah, yeah. in the scheme of the streams. But I had a really wonderful time with it and really recommend it. I've seen a few people on Twitter asking if it's worth their time. And I would say it 100% is. Really, really loved it. Um, can't recommend it enough. So yeah, good week for telly for me. Very nice. Yeah. In sharp contrast, <laughs> I've got the I've got the um the I, I've got a show that I think is you're gonna be so furious about its existence. Oh, <laughs> that oh, don't. I'm quite excited. Yeah. I'm gonna get a She-Hulk over this. So this this arrived. This is an, a, a classic Netflix story. I've got two. It's both of these shows I'm about to talk about on Netflix. The f- the first one. Not only was this not. Um, mentioned in any of the Netflix communications via electronic mail or whatever, as I went <laughs> went and checked. Apart from when, uh, if you're a Netflix subscriber as I am anyway, you get e- you get emails saying, "Oh, by the way, this series has dropped. You might be interested in." Yeah. So yesterday, I got yesterday first thing in the morning, I got a thing saying, "Oh, this series has dropped." Dharma uh, hyphen sh- monster colon. This is the title: the Jeffrey Dharma story. Dharma monster, the Jeffrey Dharma story. First of all, the title is extraordinarily clunky, <laughs> right? Yeah. With a dash and yeah. a colon. Secondly, I was like, oh, I hadn't heard about this. I'd heard about next week they're doing they're releasing a documentary, which is tape recordings of Jeffrey Dharma, and that's called something like blah 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 Jeffrey Dharma recordings or something like that. Tapes, the Jeffrey Dharma tapes, right? right yeah. So I was like, I've heard of that, but yeah. I didn't realize. But this looks like a drama because the picture on it, um, unmistakably, is of actor Evan Peters, and you know what, Evan Peters. Jeffrey Dahmer, true story turned into a pulpy, tawdry drama on Netflix. It's a Ryan Murphy production. Yeah, yeah. Did you know about it? There was a trailer last week. Trailer last week? That was the first... Hang on. So you're saying I knew something about yeah. it before yeah. and Ryan Had Murphy no knew less. Had no idea. Yeah. They, they've dropped it completely without any publicity whatsoever. So there was a trailer, but you're a trailer, right. right. There I was, no, no, there's no interviews about it. There's no, um, there was no reviews up until today when it because oh, people have had time to watch it. Oh, what do I? What do I? Well, they? I'll tell you why because it's absolutely extraordinarily terrible. Yes. <laughs> Even, so because I think Ryan Murphy, what's the most recent thing I had to look at by him? I wasn't too annoyed about. <laughs> Um, <laughs> what a glowing yeah, recommendation. That's my glowing recommendation. Wasn't too annoyed <laughs> by. Um, there um, is the um, Clockwork Orange. No, the, not Clockwork Orange. What, what am I talking about? What if we over the cookies nest? No, Ratchet. Ratchet. No, Halston. I quite, I quite like okay. the Hal- I think I'm thinking more Halston than Ratchet. Right. American Horror Stories. I quite enjoy. Uh, New episodes have dropped. Uh, and American Horror Story itself. I still like, I still I kind of, I'm looking forward to the next one of that. There's going to be another one of those along soon. But this one, this Jeffrey Dahmer, first of all, there have been a lot of Jeffrey Dahmer um, <laughs> films and TV shows anyway, I believe. Certainly films, at least one or two films that dramatise that story, as far as I'm aware. Yeah. And secondly, it's, I've only watched the first episode, but it's the most basic <laughs> And you know, kind of obvious an analysis of a serial killer um, that you'll ever see. Yeah. And it's kind. Of, I was reading about it, and in theory, it's supposed to be told from the point of view of the lens of his victims, which I guess is like a kind of justify a self justifying idea. Ugh. But it isn't really through the eyes of the victims because you because it, it just doesn't particularly work in that way. Um, Evan Peters is doing peak Evan Peters. <laughs> you know, Ryan Murphy character psychopath. Obviously, he's playing a psychopath. Fair enough. Yeah. But. It, we've seen that before yeah. as well. Um, so the whole thing just feels kind of tired and pointless. Yeah. And to, and you do wonder to what level Netflix must get where they don't care a project, they care about a project so little 
that they just drop it yeah. without hardly any. They make the trade last week, which I didn't know about, and that's it. It's it's fascinating. I'm fascinated by the whole thing. By the whole thing, really. How but long is it? How many episodes? It's a lot of episodes. Of course, it of course, it's ten. hours. That was Count the last them. one. Was the impeachment? The impeachment. That yeah. was good. Yeah, that was all right. It was all right. It yeah. was still like. Too long, way Ten too long. Of long. course, yeah, absolutely. You're right. Yeah, yeah impeachment wasn't 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 too bad. This is full. He's written the first most of it with Ian Brennan, who write they write a lot of stuff together. Um, Carl Franklin's directed some of it. Jennifer Lynch has directed some of it. I might check out the get to the Jennifer Lynch episodes because I'm interested in her, which is episode four. Oh, but I mean, just the whole thing of it is fascinating and and semi disastrous. Yeah. Um, I'll still have an open mind about his next and his whatever you comes do, next. You have to wonder what it does say about his relationship with Netflix mm. at this stage if they are dropping something which feels it's funny, isn't it, that a ten hour show about one of the worst American and I I can't quote this, like don't quote me on this, but like one of the most notorious serial killers oh, yeah, in American sure, history. Yeah. Feels like such a safe bet for Ryan Murphy. But I wonder whether I wonder whether they suddenly thought this is a bit Tawdry to ha- dramatise this over ten episodes. I'm sorry, but it's Ryan Murphy doing a series. <laughs> I know, I know. In the horrible pudding. Yeah, in the horrible, know. horrible pudding. I don't know what they're expecting, I, really. I, but I wonder if the net. I mean, more the high flight, the yeah. high, the hoi polloi, the um, the big cheeses at Netflix are, are treading more carefully. You know, with having uh, after controversies. You know, I guess so. I just wonder knows. if his stuff hasn't done very well for him. It's possible. She says, rubbing her hands. I bet. I, gar- <laughs> I bet this will do well because people are obviously still fascinated by. Well, it. the fact that they're putting. A, a documentary yeah. that next week shows exactly. that people are so absolutely obsessed exactly. yeah. um, with yeah. true crime. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure it won't be the last time we see stuff like that. I mean, there's, there was that amazing news this week. Um, the, the guy from Serial got cleared, didn't he? He did, yeah. 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 Adnan Which is only going to like fuel the fucking true crime kind of wave of cool. stories that come yeah. up next. I believe a new episode of Serial dropped to coincide with it. Yeah. Yes, I need to listen to that. And, and I was going to mention news, they're going to make another episode of the TV documentary series as well uh-huh. about it. Yeah, I was Exactly. Gonna, yeah. So yeah, yeah there's, cool. there's still plenty of mileage oh, I mean, in it. But it is quite funny to me that, yeah, they dropped it with such little fanfare yeah. and I think we'll probably bury it. Yeah. The other Netflix show I watched is another uh, another story of the Netflix show that we didn't get to review. The possibly should have. This is Heartbreak High, the new Heartbreak High. <laughs> this, this slipped under this, my radar. Yeah. That was one of my banshees. Was Heartbreak the original High. Oh, Heartbreak wow. High. I fucking loved Heartbreak yeah. High, man. Well, I don't really remember the the Australian TV series Heartbreak oh, High. Oh, Saturday mornings from was the part 90s. of Live and Kicking. You know so what? I'd get my breakfast okay. in the morning and I'd watch Amazing. Heartbreak High. Do you know what it. they've done with it? No. Oh, boy. What was that? <laughs> no, I mean, it's they not necessarily a bad thing. They've turned it into sex education, basically. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It is... I haven't investigated fully the the um the kind of history of the revamp of the t- this new reboot for Netflix, but it very much I very much wonder if it would exist if it hadn't been for sex education, right? Because it's so similar to sex education, it okay. is almost unbelievable. Like the whole tone of it, it's all about the you know kind of current. I can sound like a really old modern day <laughs> kids today. Kids today's attitudes towards gender, sexuality. Um, identity, all of that, right, right to the fore. A very okay. diverse cast and a tone and and a quite a raunchy. You know, there's nudity, there's swearing, there's very frank discussions. There's even like a bit of the school where they go, where they're not supposed to go, where they talk about sex stuff oh. together. Yeah, it's quite uh. almost remarkably like education. Right, not as good. No, I mean, and and it does. 
I'm, I'm being slightly unfair by making that comparison, but I mean, you just honestly, five minutes in, you you will not be able to avoid the comparison. <laughs> it reminds you of just how brilliant sex education is because it's it's all in the writing. Yeah, the dialogue in sex education is so smart and clever, nuanced. Yeah, and the situations are so brilliantly observed. Whereas this is a bit more basic. I mean, okay. it is, it, but it's still. It was. I was entertained by it, and the characters are, 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 are likable, interesting. And it's just, you know, and if you're into your teen dramas, you know, you're very kind of topical, not topical, you're very current, you know, fairly, um, what should I say, fairly well-made. Again, it's not quite got this education polish that that's got. Yeah. It's it's decent, as I'd say. I haven't watched the first episode. But <laughs> it's decent. It's decent, yeah. But it's another show that's on Netflix that, again, I didn't really know much about until it arrived, belatedly. Yeah. There you go. So part of this is my mea culpa that things that we should have reviewed that yeah. I didn't put on the list. <laughs> sorry, sorry we didn't sorry cover we these didn't, shows. Yeah. yeah. Um, but they do exist, shows that we haven't yet covered, and um apologies for it. Yes. Shows we did cover though, of course, Kunk on Earth. Did you listen to the interview with Diane Morgan on the Adam Buxton podcast, which a few, I think, listeners flagged up to us. So it was a very interesting interview. Yes, I did, yes. Yes. Which 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 reminded us that she's not interviewing actors. <laughs> James. <laughs> Look, I, fine, fine. I can see that I was wrong. I assumed they were actors yeah. from the way they behave when I wasn't watching and was in fact painting the ceiling. But uh, but what I, the bit that, that someone flagged up, I didn't listen to the interview, but they flagged up is the fact that she was saying that these people didn't really know what they were getting in for because yeah. they don't really watch yeah. comedy television. Absolutely. So they're completely oblivious to who she is. Yeah. Uh, and so, and that that's genius. Yeah, and that makes total sense when you when you do look at the particularly in this series with the professors whatsoever of from from Thingamabob, um, they are clearly yeah not like watching TV pop culture addicts. But like I, okay, and I'm not in any way trying to redeem myself, except I absolutely of am. You are. Uh, and it's like, but do you not think that where a lot of them responded to her almost felt scripted because they're like they're 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 rolling with it then they almost don't react the way you would think a real person would react to it that's that's how, certainly how i felt to it. it almost felt like a comedy person would how a comedy person written would react to it no because i think what i, I think there's a big difference between the experience of chatting to someone who is saying weird, freaky, ludicrous, stupid stuff <laughs> yeah. and being on a TV show. Remember all the all the paraphernalia. You know, it's a time-consuming. Mm. You're being prepped in a way, particular way, as she does explain on that interview to some extent. Um, it's a very specific experience to be an expert on a TV show, being interviewed someone who isn't the expert, who is, you know, you're told, oh, you might, you know, I bet, you know, they're told, oh, she might ask questions that you're a bit, surprised about you know or the, do you know what i mean so it's it's very different and you're if you're on especially a bbc thing you've got to be as polite and understanding and as <laughs> do you want know I mean? to and you're a, and you're an academic it's it's different it's just just different to a normal everyday kind of conversation where you probably go oh, what the fuck are you talking about you moron you wouldn't do that and so i i actually think that's the brilliance of it and obviously they cut out you know they just grab they get morsels of brilliance you know how they're filming them probably for hours on end um but they get little morsels where where they're reacting in a really funny way that's so funny yeah. you think it might be scripted. Yeah. But they're just clever, smart people who who know who who kind of have fun and, and so often the interactions are ludicrously uh, unfunny or you know kind of their their responses are almost taking it seriously because they're so astonished by what she's saying that it's quite clear that it's what's happening it's just the bit where she's introducing the concept of anal bleaching yes. to this guy and it's just yes. like it almost seemed just it was almost perfect yeah. it was just yeah yeah completely. Well, anyway that was a thing that i didn't watch but 
or listen to. But, no. I but love the fact that. you went, when you, when you mentioned that question, did you listen to us? I was looking at you thinking, what did you actually listen to? <laughs> no, of course I didn't. No, of course <laughs> I didn't. Did he bugger? Absolutely not. Uh, no, to be honest, the stuff that I've been watching this week has been mainly stuff for this episode because I've watched a lot of episodes of the shows we're reviewing this week. Like yeah. a lot of episodes. Yeah. I've seen four episodes of Andor. Yeah. I've seen about, was it five, six episodes of The Old Man? Have so, you? yeah. Oh, so that I've surprises seen, me. I've seen a lot of wow. stuff uh, for that. Have you seen all four episodes of uh, Inside Man? No, I haven't seen it. Okay. I've only seen the first Inside Man. Okay. Um, I did finish. So I had, to, I had some TV to catch up on on the weekend. So not only did I, did I binge watch Andor and do a few other things, I, I'm now up to date on Rings of Power. It has to be said, I'm enjoying Rings of Power a lot more now. So boy, I have a, not, not so much a bone to pick with you, but maybe like a troll to pick with you or something like that. So mm. I remember when we sat and watched it mm. in the in the screening and you didn't like episode one very much. And then afterwards you were like, oh no, it's fine. Episode two is much better. Mm. And I hadn't seen that. I don't think episode two was anywhere near as good as episode one. <laughs> I much preferred episode one. And I think it's because for me... I don't what, care episode about- two where they're going into the thing in all the in all, under the caves yeah. and all the, mm. that world yeah. and the and the funny Billy Connolly guy mm. and the, his wife being f- that's much more engaging than anything <laughs> in episode one. I did, well, I think the thing is that I wasn't. I'm not overly enamoured by the dwarves. Like no, okay. I'm, I for me, it's all about the. Uh, <laughs> can we cut? Can we cut that quote and just use it? Get you into real trouble? <laughs> no, no, you absolutely can't. Um, no, I'm I'm very much uh, 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 the men of Numenor is what interests me. All the Numenor stuff. That's that's where I'm yeah, at. So I'm enjoying the Galadriel and the yeah, Numenor stuff and all of that stuff and Isildur and all this. That's that's great. So I'm getting really really into it, and it does look. I mean, I know it costs a lot of money, and it was rights mainly that cost money, but it just looks so expensive. Yeah. Like it really does. Like the money is it's the opposite of Obi Wan Kenobi. Like all the money is <laughs> on that screen mm. at all times. Mm. And and it looks glorious and it's really funny like glorious. it's such a tonal opposite <laughs> to house of the dragon which yeah. is fantastic and as we've talked about by the time this goes out mm. the sixth episode will have aired. so people have seen the first emma darcy episodes mm. that have seen the big time jump the 10-year time jump uh which we get there so on the one hand no more millie Alcock. that is a shame uh but uh on the other hand like emma Darcy is actually very good in as well uh and and i and and that that time jump discombobulated me but you very quickly get back into it and you kind of get into rhythm though i do have feelings that maybe they shouldn't have done it. anyway doesn't matter doesn't matter they did it and they didn't ask my opinion so so <laughs> I'm enjoying both of these shows a lot and I'm very glad to have caught up a House of the Dragon and I'm enjoying it more with every episode. So that's good. And also, I finally watched the last two episodes of The Capture, which I should have watched ages ago, oh but God, it's just yeah. been on my list for ages and ages. And I finally watched it. And again, you're, you're not wrong. It wrong foots you mm. every time. <laughs> like you never know what's going to happen next in that show. And it is absolutely great. And it is absolutely terrifying. But I really enjoyed it. And yes, there are points where I think you said this as well. Boy, it's like, is this really silly? I'm not <laughs> sure. It might be, but it's also really, really good and really entertaining. So I do recommend if you have not watched the capture yet do definitely watch it because it's it's loads and loads of fun did you see the this is, i'm up in a whole can of worms here but gone open hell? the worms did you see the controversy about is it lanor the character who the gay character in um in house of the dragon and people saying that it was um typically um shall we say misguided of the creators mm. to introduce a gay character and his lover and then within you know spoiler alert 
things happen to the lover. Now I'm beginning to say this. I'm wondering whether I'm, I'm spoiling it because what episode? I'm not sure what episode that could. No, no, that, that would have been the previous. Episode. We don't need to talk about the no. details of who it is and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. But yes, I, I know what you mean. Well, the thing is, obviously, episode five, which would have been the previous episode, not the mm. most recent one, ends with the time jump but it has a very shocking scene before the yes. time jump which in many ways feels like it comes out of nowhere because you're just like i don't understand why this has happened but i also think that's part of the point yeah like, it's course. not right. what the incident that happens is not a direct result of its provocation it's the culmination of a lot of emotional things going on and a character snaps but yes i know i i can understand why people might take issue with that particular thing mm. that said the person in question needed a slap that's all I'm, I'm going to say. Of course, I agree, yeah. <laughs> oh, good Lord. Yeah, yeah. I just thought, I, I just think it's a slightly misguided criticism because I, I also it was, it was interested because when, when I hadn't seen these episodes, and I remember, I was, remember when we talked about the treatment of women and the fact that the creators slightly ludicrously said, oh, you know, women were treated badly in the back in back when this is set well it's set in a, it's set in a fantasy, fantasy fantasy world, world where there are dragons, dragons yes right and i said i think roughly i remember saying something about maybe it was cut out i don't know oh you know they're not dealing they're not for some reason they're focused obsessively on misogyny yeah it's, there's no it doesn't seem to be any homophobia but of course there is homophobia because in this storyline it's all about the inherent homophobia. yeah there is homophobia yes. it can kill them in a in a world where there are dragons flying through the air to maybe just lower the yeah lower the oppression on Exactly. women and, and exactly. gay people yeah but it does become like a dominant theme of the whole thing yeah cool yeah. Yes. really glad I <laughs> yeah more to watch that, more, to, to, more to catch yeah. up on for you, <laughs> fun Love stuff it. for beth yeah. uh right if that is all that we've been watching i think it's time for our first guest and where to begin where else to begin than with a man who you will know from more roles than i can count from starman to rooster cogburn and yes the dude he is jeff bridges uh, and he comes to tv for the very first time and this is absolutely true since 1963 what? um and when he starts in the old man he starts in the old man as dan chase a retired cia operative who's been in hiding for years until his old life comes calling i spoke to him just the other day yesterday in fact as we record uh, and i chatted to him about everything from choking a man to death with his bare hands to how to pull off the perfect f bar chord welcome to the show very excited to have you on here uh but i have to say so watching this show i had one overriding thought through this uh, mm. and i think it was that with the possible exception of the vanishing back in 1993 this is the first time i've been properly scared of jeff bridges uh, <laughs> <laughs> i mean is, is, do you think that's fair i mean when you when you looked at this project did you see that in this character yeah right <laughs> yeah yeah, this is a, a fascinating guy. He doesn't want to be scary. You know, he doesn't think of himself as scary. That's just who he is. But you're probably the guy in The Vanishing didn't think of himself as scary either. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I was fortunate to have uh, a, a real ex-CIA guy. Uh, Christopher Huddleston was a was our tech advisor on the show. So uh, he let me in on, uh, you know, what it, what it was like to really be one of these, these guys. Uh, It turns out, you know, you've got a lot in common with actors, you know, probably the best actors in the world are vice cops and CIA guys who are (laughs) undercover and have to, you know, pretend for their lives. Yeah. Who they are, you know. I guess when you're that kind of character, when you're an operative, when you're a CIA character, you can never really put it behind you. Like it's always a part of who you are. That's the thing. That is the thing, and that's one of 
the challenges for this character is, uh, yeah, you can never really relax. You know, you're always kind of someone else. And that uh, eventually becomes uh, such a habit that you don't really know who you are anymore. Yeah. Or you, you, who you think you are. You know, as I sit here and have my jet lag and think about <laughs> it, that probably uh, goes for all of us. You know, none of us really know uh, who we are. I think we all, you know, get into a, um, a habit of uh, being who we think we are. And, but you, I guess you remember these skills, don't you? Like whatever you do, whatever you've done your whole life, you never, ever leave it behind. I think, I guess that's what this show is. It doesn't matter how much he tries to leave behind the life he had. It's always with him. And it kind of, I guess it yeah. comes to the fore in this through the action. So I know like action in recent years has taken a turn towards more authentic kind of visceral action. But there's some stuff in this show which felt like stuff I'd never really seen before on TV. You know, in terms of the way the action was staged, in terms of how just real yeah. and brutal it seemed. I mean, how much of that was in the script when you first got it? Yeah, that's all. That was all in the script. Uh, John Steinberg wrote a, a wonderful script based on a book by Thomas Perry, uh, old man. But you know what you mentioned uh, about the uh, the quality of the fighting and and how real that seems. Um, you know, that's something as an actor. I always aspire to, to make it, you know, feel as real as possible. Let the audience feel like just a fly on the wall watching this thing happen. And we had these uh, stunt experts, uh, Timothy Connolly and Hank Kinji and, uh, and, and Tommy DuPont, a guy I've worked with a lot in movies. And uh, I asked Tim one day, I said, what's, what's the state of the art uh, stunt, you know, fight scenes because I had, you know, I'm not you know, aware of that. And he he said, "Well, I don't want to be uh, immodest, but it's a it's a show that I worked on. I worked with the actors on." I said, "What was that?" And he said, "Atomic Blonde." Mm, have you great seen film. that? Show? Oh yes, the fighting is that, incredible. That, that fight scene on the stairs. In the stairs, yeah, yeah. What they can do now, <laughs> uh, making it all feel like one take. And uh, I said, oh, well, I'm in good hands. And then we and then we worked on those, you know, so that was some of my favorite stuff working on the show was making all of those fights seem as real as possible, you know, and not make it look like a typical movie fight, you know, where you you'd a lot of cutting, you know, this was, yeah. you know. Well, because this isn't this, and it's interesting you mentioned the cussing there because a lot of the choreography you see in a lot of, you know, never, I would never throw shade at Big Liam, I love Liam Neeson, but there's a lot of edits in the taken fight sequences. Where so you look at things like Atomic Blonde or John Wick and they tend to use master shots. There's a lot of, you know, they're very, very carefully choreographed. And again, this, again, the shots were quite long and it was really real. I mean, there's a sequence in this where you're in the desert in the first episode. You have a fight with the CIA tracker. It is 11 minutes long, like 11 <laughs> minutes of choking and rolling in the dirt and kicking this guy in the crotch. You know, it is so 
brutal. And I mean, how long did that take to shoot? Oh, probably a week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it's it, oh, it is incredible man. that you can do that, like have an 11 minute long wrestle in the dirt. And I wonder whether you think that that's something that TV excels at, because obviously, and if you're doing a movie, 11 minutes is a big chunk of your runtime, whereas in a TV, you can yeah. take that time to do this and make it real. You know, that's true. I never thought of it that way, but that's true. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I had a lot of resistance doing TV, you know, mm. because, uh, well, my father, Lloyd Bridges, had done many TV shows. His most famous one was Sea Hunt back yeah. in the early 60s. And I saw how uh, frustrated he was by, uh, you know, uh, not having enough time to, uh, you know, make the quality uh, that you're looking for. Uh, but then I started to see all these high quality shows coming off the TV. And I said, you know, you want to check this out, Jeff. So uh, <laughs> when I got, uh, you know, presented with the old man, I said, well, I got to meet these creators and find out what, what they had in mind. Yeah. And I met with John Steinberg and Warren Littlefield. And when they presented what they had in mind and how they were going to, you know, gather the team so much involves casting, you know, not just the actors, but the, the whole team, the directors and cinematographers. And they did such a great job at producing this. I, mean, I say it, you know, a movie, a film or whatever you want to call it. But I saw no difference in making a movie yeah. and making this show. Same same attention goes to it and never felt rushed or anything like that. Yeah, it feels like the lines have blurred because there was a situation like you go back sort of 20 odd years where it felt like film was like a higher art form really than TV. Yeah. I think those lines have long since blurred. And I'm wondering now what's going to happen to the movies, man? Is it going to, you know... I mean, now we got those goggles, you know, is that going to be the next thing, you know, the virtual, I don't know, it'll be fascinating. It all happens so fast, though, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I don't think I could survive the, uh, that, that. 11 minute action sequence in VR I think it might be the death of me uh, but no I mean it's it, it is fantastic stuff it really is and it feels like a lot of those kind of mid-budget stories that we used to watch in cinemas in the 80s and 90s now they're the domain of TV that's what we get on TV yeah this uh, is great stuff on there now I mean what what stuff do you do you do you watch a lot of TV are there shows that really I, get well, you well I do you know uh uh, and I love all the Brits, man, pulling this stuff like succession. Wow, come on, man. That's, that's high quality stuff, you know. And uh, what we do in the shadows. Yeah, some it's more all Brits, so funny. You know. Yeah. Now, do you guys have a show called a pen 15? Uh, I know the one you mean. I haven't actually watched it, but I've heard you great things it, about it. That takes acting to another level. Those women did such a wonderful job. They're <laughs> it's hard to even say it. It sounds unbelievable. <laughs> but they're 34 years old and they're playing 13 seventh graders. Yeah. And they just do it so beautifully. Yeah. I love it. But there's so much great, there's so much great so stuff. Much stuff. There's so much content. Yeah. There is. How do you get through it? I read that you were a Peaky Blinders fan. Is that something that you watch? Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. Peaky <laughs> Blinders was another one, good one. I'm, I'm not caught up. I saw that oh, first season. I'm the kind final of season uh, aired earlier this year, is so that, you've got the finale oh, in store. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> 
but as you say, there's so much great stuff. And I think part of it is the quality of the writing and the money that goes into it obviously helps, but the time it takes. And there's a scene actually in episode two of The Old Man where you and Amy go out for dinner and it's kind of like the first date scenario. And the emotional honesty in that scene, I thought it was so beautifully written. It was just this perfect little moment. Uh, And there's a particular line that she says, which kind of stayed with me, which was that no one ever sees themselves as playing the role of the villain. And maybe the only one who can play that role is is someone who doesn't see that it's happening. I mean, do you think that's true? I think, yeah, I remember that line really uh, struck me as well. Beautifully written scene Mm. and that that line especially uh, stuck with me, yeah. Yeah, you were mentioning uh, in the beginning of our interview, you were mentioning The Vanishing, for instance. Yeah. See, I remember preparing for that fella. And uh, George Slizer, the director of that film, who directed the original, which I think, I got to say, I think it was a better film, the original. (laughs) Uh, But uh, his first bit of direction to me was, Jeff, I want you to write a an essay on your character and who he is. I said, oh, got a homework assignment. But then I got him to started to write it, and it was a wonderful exercise. And uh, we, one of the things I discovered was that, no, he thought of himself as a uh, something really unique and special to present to humanity, that he had a certain history and was a certain type of person that he needed to express <laughs> what he felt was important in life and, a, and a, something that was unique to him that he needed to share. And he yeah. was a special person. And, and uh, I remember now as I'm talking and I've got my jet lag going, I'm thinking of that movie a lot. And George Slizer, another bit of direction he gave me, he says, Jeff, I am the real Barney. <laughs> Oh, thank you, George. <laughs> so I just in, kind of impersonated George in that movie. Amazing. I mean, how characters like that obviously stick with you. How much do the characters you play stay with you generally? Like, do you carry them with you or are you able to move on? From uh, them? You know, I, uh, I uh, don't think I do. But like what you said about the villains, you know, I remember doing an interview in my home long, long ago. And I was doing a, the interview and the interviewer asked me that same question. And I said, no, not really. You know, characters don't stick with me. And my wife happened to be in the room. And she goes, <laughs> I said, why are you laughing like that? She says, you don't think so. But you, it certainly does, you know, and, uh, so I think, uh, you know, subconsciously, they leak in. Yeah. You, know. you don't just sort of lapse yeah. into the dude speak randomly in conversation. Well, the dude, you know, I mean, that was, I think, we're talking about, uh, you know, having uh, technical advisors. I was sort of my own technical <laughs> advisor on that show. <laughs> that was a bit of my past I could relate to. I love that you still have the cardigan, and I especially love that you brought it out for John's uh, Walk of Fame uh, uh, ceremony, which yeah. was oh, glorious. Yeah. yeah, a lot of those clothes in that show were, were mine. You know, those jelly sandals, and those are mine. You know, some of those T-shirts. Are- Amazing. <laughs> 
Well, I have one more question for you for a wrap up, and it is this. Uh, obviously, you're not just an iconic actor. You're also an incredible musician and a mean guitar player. Now, I, as many middle-aged white men did, bought a guitar during COVID and have tr- been struggling Ooh. to play it ever since. So I kind of, uh, if I may ask, if I may ask, what is the best piece of guitar wisdom you could kind of offer someone who is still struggling with it, bearing in mind that I'm still wrestling with the F bar chord at this stage? Oh, the, uh, that's the toughie. <laughs> when you conquer the bar chord, you know, you're doing well. Well, James, don't push too damn hard on the keys. You don't want to think of it like pliers. It's more like a socket wrench. You just want enough pressure on, you know, on the string to hit the fret with just enough pressure that you get the tone. Yeah. When you're beginning, sometimes you, you know, you push too yeah, hard. Yeah, you especially with the balls. And the bar chord, yeah. And a lot of that has to do with your position on there. And instead of using your thumb to push on the thing, use your bicep. Isn't that interesting? Like pull back on it. Pull Mm. pull on it. That don't use your thumb too much. You know, but guitar, yeah, it's a wonderful buddy, man. You're going to love the fact that you're doing that. And uh, don't give up. Another thing, keep it out of the case. Ah. Just have it laying there, see? See, I have it here in its case. See, maybe that's where I'm yeah, going take wrong. take it out of the case, because that's <laughs> a one other little you know, thing. You, you look at the case, you say, oh, yeah, you know, maybe tomorrow I'll take No, leave it out there. And then just when you're watching the tube or something, just pick it up. And, and just noodle with it. Thing. Noodle, yeah, noodling. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for both the interview and the guitar tips. It's much there appreciated. All right. Have fun with it. Okay. <laughs> Good day. Bye-bye. That was Jeff Bridges. And time now for our new From the Post Bag listener feedback section, or as Boyd describes it, when he just has to answer lots of listener questions in a row. So so let's start off with one by Phil Makel. And he says, in the last pod, you expressed surprise at the BBC not showing any comedy programmes following the death of Her Majesty the Queen. This policy is, in fact, a part of the BBC Charter and has been in place for many years. Yours, a TV nerd, Phil. Okay. I mean, I still think it's a bit silly, but... It's part of the charter. I don't really know what that means. No, I don't. What does it mean, Boyd? Well, the BBC has a charter effectively from a royal charter, I think, um, where it's basically given the right to be the nation's broadcaster and the one that we pay for via our um, uh, licence fee. So I think it's all... It stated what they have to do. That this public service and all of that is is, is stated within its remit. Yeah. It's given a so basically in the charter it says the death of a monarch is no laughing Apparently matter. Apparently, so I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the slideshow comedy is quite similar. It was like definitely less than a week because I'm pretty sure Stuart Lee's show special was on BBC Two. Right. What before yeah. the funeral? Before I think so. Maybe I should double check. I it feels like they would have done it after the funeral. Maybe it was after the funeral. Maybe. Okay. I don't know. I have no idea. Mm. Absolutely no idea because I avoid comedy at of all costs. Of course. Uh, Holly Illis says to us on the topic of Emmys slash general award show questions, uh, how important do you think buzz really is to a show's success? And yes, what I'm absolutely getting at is do you think Better Call Saul will win anything next year? I mean, I, I, I'm still struggling to talk about it, to be honest. I still feel that betrayed. Yeah. Um, it depends. I think it depends. I mean, obviously, Emmy wins aren't going to help Better Call Saul now. It's done. It would have mm. been really nice to have honoured it. Still finally. could be on eligible next year. Yeah, but it's just not the same. I, 
I don't know. Buzz can be super helpful. I mean, if you look at something like Squid Game, I think that yeah. Yeah. that became the show it was. It's a, it's an exceptional show, but it became the, the show that it became because of Buzz and a huge kind of online following. It you know struck a chord with a younger generation who were you know doing TikToks of it, and that kind of helped bring it to like millions of other. I, there's obviously not a metric for the success that it garnered on social media, but it definitely helped. Um, and I mean, it's the same. It's 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 the 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 kind of case of word of mouth as well, which has always kind of been the case. Things like. White Lotus, I would say, probably, mm. if you look at the viewing figures for White Lotus from, from start to finish, much, much higher by the finale. And I doubt that that was by marketing alone. That would have been word of mouth. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. yeah. I worry with Better Call Saul that it's a bit, it's too late, like, in every sense. Like, mm. I think it's too late for the possibly majority of people who vote for these things in the in in the American TV Academy to catch up with it, and I think a lot of them won't have watched it because it is as, as I always I say. I don't think they did. Yeah, I think it's 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 much less of a pop popular phenomenon, popular you know kind of pop cultural phenomenon than Breaking Bad was because Breaking Bad really did reach a peak of everyone being th thrilled about it. For some reason, Better Call Saul was never really. I don't. I don't feel. It's never really captured that. No. And so I think there's a lot of people who, the voters who won't have seen it, and they'll have gone, well, it's too late now. I can't be bothered. Exactly. Um, and then in a year's time, there'll be loads of who knows what amazing stuff, you know, to, to rival it. Mm. And, and again, it'll be even, seem even later to acknowledge its brilliance. So I do fear that even though it is still el eligible, those six final and astonishing, brilliant episodes, I think it might just go unnoticed. And in the end, it doesn't fucking matter. I mean, there's history is littered with brilliant films and TV shows that have been under recognised in awards ceremonies. Awards, yeah. the whole, you know, that's there's an industry of people who analyse this stuff and predict this stuff. And part of the reason why they, that exists is because it, it's things don't make sense often, and the best things don't automatically win. And sometimes the worst things win. What was that fucking terrible film that won the Oscar two years ago? Green Book. Green Book. Oh, I mean, you know, that whole that is like sums up the insanity of awards um, <laughs> uh, for me. And the same goes for TV awards. So I, I worry that it won't win hardly anything ever. I do think it's possible. Yeah. Well, Sorry. that was a massive downer. Let's move on now to curator John's question. He said he's noticed a lot of chat on Pilot and Empire about going to the premiere or a screening of some of the big new TV shows. So She-Hulk, House of the Dragon, etc. And he says, are those screenings in a cinema? If so, what's that like? TV on a screen even bigger than Boyd's. Is it good? Is it a bit weird? Has it made any shows seem more impressive than they really are? We're in an era of cinematic TV, but have there been any that look distinctly uncinematic on the big screen? I mean, I'll be first to say it is an absolute privilege that we get to do that for our jobs. We are very lucky to be able to do that. Um, and the answer to what it's like, it's really fucking cool. It's just really mm. cool. Even though I wasn't like sold on the first episode of House of the Dragon, sitting in a big cinema watching a big fucking dragon on a big fucking screen, <laughs> it's pretty fucking cool. Um, so yeah, it's a lot of waiting though. I will say just to just to lower some of the the kind of glam around it, you are sat on your ass for absolutely eight. <laughs> And it is like <laughs> first crime, world, first world, absolute Boo hoo! Yeah. I had to sit around yeah. at the premiere. Some of it is just sat right. You are just sat around waiting. We went to the Witcher premiere before Christmas. I just oh, but that was good because they made the whole cinema into Care More, and it was cool. I mean, that was cool. But you were you were on half a bag of popcorn and a 
bottle of water for like two hours. That is true. But then having said that, a week prior to that at the same cinema, I'd had to watch West Side Snorri and they gave us cocktails and Swedish fish and all manner of sweets and delightful things. And I still wanted to take my own life. So what are you going to (laughs) do? But yeah, to to sum up, a lot of waiting around and then then pretty fucking cool. Um, And it's just fun to see, um, you know, actors in real life they're usually shorter than you think is uh, <laughs> is the general takeaway i like watching them on the big screen i think some so at prey which obviously went straight to uh, oh, disney yeah. plus which is the new predator movie i got to see that at a screening on the big screen and i have to say that's where you want to watch it I, that was amazing i'm delighted and thrilled that i got to do that yeah. and it's sad that most people won't be able to uh and i think for for Sherlock, house of the dragon looked fantastic mm. at the at the Odeon in Leicester Square it really did like it really benefited from that. and we saw obviously the first Lord of the Rings Rings of Power we saw that on the big screen as well uh, it was a smaller screening room but it was still a big screen roughly the size of Boys Telly and uh, you know so I mean yeah like, I don't think I've watched any TV show. I mean we showed the first episode of the new season of The Capture at yeah. Pilot TV Live for the 200th yeah. episode again all of this stuff like these stuff these shows look premium they look expensive they are cinematic or we wouldn't be covering them you know, some of the shit that you two watch, like reality nonsense, like Great British Bake Off or something, would that look good in IMAX? I'm going to say no, but how the fuck do I know? Maybe it would. Maybe, you know, that that three-tiered gatto covered in cherry ganache or something would look spectacular <gasps> on an IMAX, IMAX screen. I don't know. Maybe. They do show um, some things like, you know, Frozen Planets on at the moment, which yeah. you know, David Adam related mm. to. Them. They do show things like that on the big screen sometimes. But that like, looks I've amazing. Seen the IMAX, yeah, and that does, does look good. The other thing is sound, because I will say this. Yes. My, even though my screen is enormous, 78 inches, I don't have a particularly... Oh, boy. I don't have a particularly flat oh, sound boy. system. I know, much to your... So I have Dolby Atmos. Of course you do. A 5.2.1 system. Yeah, I don't think I do have Dolby Atmos, whatever the fuck that. I don't really, I've never really been that a sound buff in, in yeah, the kind of home viewing world. So, in fact, I noticed... I, I went to the screening of Inside Man, which we'll come to be reviewing later, last night at the BFI, hosted the Q&A. Um, and <laughs> what I was particularly struck by, more, it, it visually looked amazing, and it definitely is a different experience. Even a show like that, which we will talk about later, has fairly small-scale domestic settings in one level. Even that, you see stuff on the big screen you didn't notice, literally. But the sound, the David Arnold score, for example, and the just the kind of general soundscape of it, I really noticed sitting right at the front of the BFI, the biggest screen. We'll get onto that score. <laughs> we will get onto that Okay. Already bristling. There we go. There we go. Bristling in the air. Um, So it is, and a lot of these things do have Q and A's with the stars. Mm. I often find the the film more with TV premieres and launches almost always do have Q and A's attached, and often I'm hosting them. (laughs) And I would know because I'm doing them. Yeah, with films. I do find that whole weird process whereby they you wait, as you yeah. say, it's best says that you wait for hours for it to start in your yeah. seat, and they and the director comes on, introduces like twenty people yeah. who are in the film, and they go walk off yeah. again, and they, they either say so hello or yeah. they don't speak at all, yeah. and then they leave. Yeah, I find that whole thing. Mm. I, I think I remember the very first time I ever saw it years ago, and I still find it weird. Yeah. They don't really ever do that with TV shows. Thank you know, to, yeah, to give them good. Credit. Yeah, um, so that is a weird thing. The whole that, oh, sort of, it's, yeah. oh, it's it's either like they don't do anything, or it's just pain fully awkward like I remember the worst one was um, I went to see that Logan Lucky film the the, um, Soderbergh film and Adam Driver came out oh god and it oh it was bad (laughs) I can imagine (laughs) as someone who was interviewed him multiple times I can imagine (laughs) I've never been so upset to see Adam Driver in my whole life (laughs) (laughs) oh babe just walk just walk away (laughs) just walk off I know what you mean amazing no I don't I don't care for those so I I think we've painted a, a rich portrait there 
<laughs> yeah, we're I'm massively spoiled. privileged and spoiled. Yeah, yeah, we're the worst. Yeah. Uh, or it turns out I'm the worst, as Robert Frost is about to tell you. Hi, a message for the Pilot TV post bag. James needs to get over his ridiculous criticism of the volume. It is a production tool just like any other, and it's just as capable of producing amazing results as it is poor ones. Many, many, many upcoming shows are using the volume tech, and to dis- dismiss them makes James sound like a naysayer from yesteryear wondering if the talkies will ever catch on. <laughs> That is great. Who who wrote that? That is Robert Frost. The the poet, the great poet. The great poet, Robert Frost. Um, Yeah, quite right. I mean, he's not wrong. And to be fair, to be fair, I should qualify this position. So lots of stuff used the volume very, very well. Uh, Mandalorian used it brilliantly. It looks fantastic. And it's almost seamless there. You see how much of the Batman was shot using that kind of technology? Tons of it. A lot more than you would think. And you're like, wow. So when it is used well and you don't notice it's there, I have no problem with it. I think what poisoned me here was a bit Boba Fett, but it was all Obi-Wan Kenobi, which, and I cannot emphasize this enough, looked fucking terrible. And I I think, so maybe it's like, it's not stop using the volume, it's stop using the volume badly. Like, stop doing the thing with the ficus, do you know what I mean? Like, you stick down the front. I don't know what you mean, but thanks. Okay, so the thing, oh, so you went on last week. No, 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 that's not an invitation for you to tell me My issue, Beth, my issue, Beth, is that basically they were were in a little room and you could just see they put a few plants down to, to blur the border between the floor and the screen. Right. So you like, so, this and is I'm always just like, his example. By this the way. is my they example. Put a few plants down. It's it's always my I, don't example. Think, I don't think the phrase they put a few plants down has ever been used as often as it has. This, this happens. <laughs> There's a particular scene where this is egregious and it's so clear that they've done that. But so, and I'm just obsessing over that one scene. So in Obi-Wan, it is used incredibly badly. But as, as my good friend Robert Frost says, uh, yes, it is a tool and it can be used very, very well. And I'm sure, you know, they will shelve the ficuses and they'll figure it out like it'll all be much better One day, in future I'd love to get the production designer in here with you what about anyone Kenobi particularly about the putting the plants down if yeah. you, did you or did you not yes. just put some plants down <laughs> I'm saying like genuinely I would like to I want to be I want to speak to the person in charge of plant yeah. placement on yeah. Obi-Wan Kenobi yeah. I want to know what happened Very there niche. and I want to know why yeah season two we'll get yeah. to the bottom of it I think so <laughs> I just I just that whole show I have issues with mm. but you know you? we'll be getting on to yeah you wouldn't no, would you? <laughs> you wouldn't know. Um, can I just make a full and frank apology before Ooh, we move on? A full and frank apology to I, me or just generally? Well, in this section, because in this kind of post bag, what are we calling it? Section? No, I don't back, know. Yeah. Communications. I, I got a few communications, fully very valid communications, attacking me for spoilers when it came to, to Bloodlands. Yeah. So I am going to throw myself on the mercy of the listeners' court. <laughs> and Finish I, him. And I shouldn't, I definitely regret it. I'm sorry if, if I ruined it. If, if, it was basically for those who hadn't seen the first season because the what happens in the first season mm. I mean you ruined it for me up, yeah <laughs> sets up everything that happens in the second season and do you know what I took my cue from and I'm not and this is an explanation rather than an excuse yeah but I took my cue from the BBC's in-house pre-publicity for this show for the trailers for this show and just the whole way it's been framed and the whole framing of it has absolutely given away as far as I'm concerned the thing that happens in the first series that I'm now not going to refer to <laughs> right <laughs> And so I'm not blaming them. I'm just saying it's a difficult one because that's why I did it. Like I, yeah. I was aware that it was I was talking about something that happened in the first series, and that is going to potentially ruin it if you haven't seen it. But everyone did, and it was like we you know when everyone does something and you kind of like get swept along by the whole thing. I, I just got swept along by, it. and I, I, I do wonder how 
if how, wh- why they took that decision. I, you know, I did a Q and A with all those people like online, and from the start we discussed the whole thing. You know, the whole basis of it, including the spoiler from series one. Yeah. Um, but everyone was like accepted that that well, had to do it that way. It was like ridiculous to not spoil it. So that is my long-winded <laughs> explanation slash excuse slash apology for the Bloodlands spoiler fiasco. There we go. We yeah. shall endeavour to be far more mindful of these things in future. Well, that is, broadly speaking, all the message we have time for this week. If you would like to have your thoughts, comments, musings, questions, whatever you like, read out on this podcast, please do send them to us at Pilot TV Pod on Twitter. Not Instagram, please, because I didn't check it this week and I'm not going to next week. Uh, via DM, please. Right, that was that. So what have we got next? Let's do news. Let's do news. I have I have a thing I'd like to ask about news. So I hate football. You may or may not know that about me. Yeah. I hate football. I've no interest in football. I do like video games. You could not pay me to play FIFA, for example. Right. <laughs> However, I now feel like I might because I announced this week that... Richmond yes. FC yes. and Ted Lasso yes. are going to be in the new FIFA game. No, and I was like, if anything were going to get me to play FIFA, this literally might be the only thing that could. <laughs> the fact that I could play as Roy Kent. Yeah, so absolute triumph. Genius move. It is amazing, isn't it? I don't play FIFA either, to be honest. I, I'm but not, you might now. I'm not a gamer. Um, I might now. I'm tempted, yeah. Um, but what a brilliant thing to do. Yeah, I mean, it's kind yeah, of obvious on one level, but just in, on the other level, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. It is. Yeah, yeah. great. There you go. Beth, <laughs> Beth's, <laughs> Beth's well excited. You can tell yeah, that from her voice. Hand me that Amazing. Yeah. Beth's all over the shit. Yeah. Um, also, also, I'd like to point out, did either of you watch the trailer for Quantum Leap? No. No. So this is Sorry. the remake of Quantum Leap. Yeah. It was a lot to take in. Why? It, it's... I mean, it looks terrible. To my mind, to my mind, it looks terrible. Okay. But it's just an entirely modernised, up-to-date retelling of Quantum Leap. I didn't see any Oh Boys in there. Maybe I missed it. Uh, Although they immediately break the rules. And in the trailer, he's already jumped to a period outside his own lifetime, which is one of the fundamental tenets of Quantum Leap that couldn't be done. Uh, I I mean, I, I sure, this is a thing that's happening. And I'm not quite sure how I feel about it. Who's in it? People. Okay. (laughs) I don't know. I should know. Do you know what? Be consummate professional I am. to look it up. I'm going to look it up now, just just so that I've got it in my head. Right, here we are. I mean, the whole thing Quantum Leap 2022. I mean, I could have filled the air. You didn't have to say out loud what you were doing. (laughs) Types into Google. Types in. Ernie Hudson's in it. That's right. (laughs) Ernie Hudson turns up uh, in the trailer. I remember recognising Ernie Hudson. I mean, the whole thing just feels quite unnecessary. Is anyone, anyone excited for this? No. 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 I'm not a huge fan of, of, of the original series. Right. Okay. You're not playing. That's a hell of a thing to drop. Yeah. No. You're not a fan of Qu- Dr. Sam no. Beckett. Never returned home. Never, Spoiler. Never got that into it. Yeah. It's just one of those things. Yeah. It's a slight one of my um, blind spots. Yeah. It was, it was incredibly clever at the time because it just enabled them to tackle something entirely different each week. And I know I hate that, that kind of like standalone episodic procedural format yeah, but you do famously but i really what i really liked about this is occasionally like the evil leaper series they would have threads that they would pick back up occasionally they do something deranged like the stephen king episode where he meets satan uh i mean and then the that final episode which again polarized people some people love it some people hate it is genius in so many levels uh so i do actually have a surprising amount of time for quantum leap 
the old one, not so much this one. But well, no, I don't know. Look, this may come to the UK at some point. We may or may not oh. review it on the show. So you know, sure we'll find will. out. Sure, it'll be a hoot. I'm sure, it will. Um, I've got a bone to pick with you. Something else for James Dyer to answer for. Oh God. <sighs> Have you seen that there may be more episodes of the Terminal List incoming? I did not see that. Hooray! Chris Pratt hints that more episodes are coming. Quote, to the rabid fans... It's me. It's talking to me. ...of the Terminal List out there, you have nothing to worry about. I'm, I'm, I'm worried. Which one was the Terminal List again? It's the one where Chris Pratt is like a Navy SEAL oh, on a mission. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That one. Yeah. Totally forgettable. Guilty pleasure. Yeah, that's the one. Espionage thriller. Yeah. That's the one. That's generic. The one. Generic. Yeah, all that of that. You really liked it. Yeah, I did. A There's of more coming and it's all <laughs> wow. James's fault, basically. So that's, uh, yeah, thank you for that. Um, have we seen about Scanners is getting the small mm, screen? Yeah. Yes. That yeah. is... Uh, exploding heads all over the place. Exploding heads all over the place from the director of Lovecraft Country, yeah, I'm which could that. work. Yeah. Did you just do? I think you listened to the Quentin Tarantino podcast. He's, he does his, his fairly recent one. Where, I know of it, but no, I've not. Where listened he to goes it. through um, uh, films that he watched when he ha- had his video store, his video rental store back, right. in, when, back when he was when he was young, and they do a whole thing about scanners. And he reads out a review of a scanners from the time when it came out, which was a D-rated review in a fame from a famous critic whose name I can't remember. And it's so funny. And he reads it in this pompous voice of the critic, and it's 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 hilarious. And I'm a huge fan of scanners, so yeah, um, yeah, I'm quite inter- into the idea. Are you interested? Yeah, do, or do I, I, you I, think it should be left well? No, I'm interested. Yeah, right. I'm not. I think there's so much, you know, um, so much. Compl- I'm about. I'm going to complain about IP later when it comes to Andor. Don't obviously, but <laughs> Here we go. it doesn't bother me until you see the final product. It's all about the final product. It is. You can get extraordinary stuff from rebooted, reimagined, revamped, remade. Yeah, IP like um, uh, American Chicola. I'm really enjoying. I forgot to mention that. In what we're watching, in fact, that it is very good. I'm watching yeah. it a lot as it, episode by episode, and it's really, really good. It's yeah. excellent. So you know, I'm fine with that. Yeah. Great, <laughs> great. Well, They'll be thrilled. Happy, happy yeah. for you both yeah. with your terminal list. <laughs> yeah, scan on a small screen. Um, Reacher, do you see Reacher casting? No, news? no, yeah. I missed this. What is uh, it? Yeah. Tell me now. Season two, yes. Uh, cast uh, Reacher has added Serinda Swan, Ferdinand Kingsley, and Rory Cochran uh, to its season two cast as series regulars. The group is joined by guest star Dominic Lombardozzi, along with Luke Billick. Dean McKenzie, and I've heard, I haven't heard of a lot of these people, by the way, but um, I'm reading them out anyway. Uh, it's based, you know, it's Bad Luck and Trouble. Yes, so the, that's a good one. It's a really good one. That's yeah. a good one. It's one of my favourites. Yeah. That's the eleventh book. In the eleventh book. Yeah. Um, so filming begins next month. So yeah. quite, so it should be uh, maybe it'll arrive what next year, like middle of summer next year, probably. Yeah. This brings Reach's unit back together. Yes. Yes. It's, it's good. It still upsets me. They pronounce Neely. Neely. That's a silent G. I'm like, I've always pronounced her Neely when I've read the books, and it bothers me that it was Neely. Anyway, that's my grievance. Sorry. Good grievance. Yeah. yeah. Uh, any other news that we would like to bring forth? Um, uh, there was a couple of other things. Blade Runner, the 20... I don't know if we covered this last week, we missed it. Blade Runner 2099 has been uh, given a series order at Amazon. Yeah. More Blade Runner-y stuff. That I'm slightly more, um, I don't know, concerned about. Yeah, because it's a direct sequel to the Denny Villeneuve film. Yeah. The 2049 film, but presumably 50 years later. (laughs) Yeah. Um, As I mentioned, this is the... Yeah, the HBO series, The Case Against Adnan Saeed, which tells the same story, obviously, as Serial. That's getting a follow-up episode to acknowledge the fact that he has been released from prison. Yeah. Um, uh, this week, so yeah, that is that is definitely happening. And they just, I've just in, pinged into my e- email inbox literally just now is the news that there's a new Adam Curtis project arriving on BBC iPad. Remember, we reviewed the last Adam Curtis series. What was it? 
I can't remember what it was called. Excellent. <laughs> Do you remember he does those what, mind-blowing documentaries using footage picked from history oh my god yeah, yeah. that was deranged yeah mm. i can't do you remember what it's called? i can't remember what no. it's called but i do remember yeah. sitting through it were you with us for that I can't remember no, no it's okay. so. um can't get you out of my head i think it was called yes it That's might have been that yeah he is an absolute maverick genius and he and his new one which is all about russia and it's called russia 1985 to 1999 trauma zone which is a great title already um what it felt like to live through the collapse of communism and democracy and that arrives on BBC iPlay on the 13th of October. And I'm quite excited because he is. Everything that Adam Kurtz does is well worth watching because it's always surprising, um, weird, uh, how he draws tentacular facts together and stories together. It's fascinating. So that is quite um, quite exciting. Exciting indeed. Is that it for news? Yeah. That is it for <laughs> news. Time now for our second guest, and it is Harry Lorty, who is on the show to talk about Industry Series 2. If you remember, we reviewed Industry Series 1. How long ago was it, Boyd? It was a while ago, wasn't it? A couple of years ago. A couple yeah. of years At ago. At least two. <laughs> At least two. At least two years ago yeah. we did this. And this is the drama series created by Mickey Down and Conrad Kay, and it follows a group of young graduates sort of competing for jobs at Pierpoint & Co., which is a prestigious, if horrific, investment bank in London. And Boyd, Boyd sat down with Harry to talk all about the second series, which begins this week. Welcome, Harry, to the uh, Pilot TV podcast. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Where do we find you today? Are you at home or are you on set? Uh, I'm at home today, okay. yeah. Fine, yeah. good. Because <laughs> you've been busy. We'll get to that later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, it's, 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 been a, it's been a busy year so far, yeah. Yeah. Um, First series of Industry was one of my favourite shows of that year. Um, it feels like quite a long time ago now. Um <laughs> But what's the difference between that first series, do you think, which presumably the writers were writing it, you know, for without particular actors in mind, mostly, and then you're all cast, and then they're writing for series two. Do you notice the difference in the way it all works from series one to two? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, thank you for a start. That's really kind. But um, yeah, absolutely. I think I think it's natural to an extent. Like when, when the guys first wrote the show, they're obviously just just imagining these these characters. And I think it's inevitable, you know, we've made the second one a few years later and when it comes to them kind of writing this season how much it influences them obviously isn't really for me to say it's kind of hard to be objective about but I, I, I guess just generally they're writing with our faces in mind now as opposed to just kind of blank spaces I guess and um, and I think there, there is kind of some collaboration and, and some space for that where you can kind of and just naturally as well your character sort of merges more into you and, and vice versa as well and I think that's across the board for all of us really and so um yeah it does it is a bit of a different experience kind of coming back to a show um a little while later but sticking with the same character and being able to kind of grow it over that time I guess and did they talk to you do the writers talk to you about the way your character is going to go and what trajectory they have in mind for who uh yes and no they, they they also like to keep a few things back because i think they they change a lot and and you know the show is kind of from our perspective at least seems to be written in a very kind of like transitory way like it's always kind of shifting and, and moving and and um and we get the scripts kind of on the go while we're making it um and so that can be really exciting as well because i think it creates a freshness on set you know often the material hasn't been with us too long and so you kind of just have to try and respond to it as instinctively as you can but of course yeah they're always available for for discussion and um if anything needs clearing up or or, um, or explaining or or just um kind of developing then then yeah they're always available for that they're, they're great and robert is a fascinating character isn't he because i think when he when we first meet him in series one 
he's like this mm. hot young thing. He feels like almost like a stereotype, you know, of a hot young thing in, working in this world of high finance. And we've seen that kind of character before. But in fact, it's not long before we see he's a completely, he's really wearing a mask in a way, isn't he? And that, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. I mean, completely, yeah. I think in, in, in the first season, he very much leads with this kind of faux confidence, you know, this, he's got a lot of charisma and, and you know, brashness and, and, and machismo, really. But I think it's, it's all self-imposed. And like you say, it's all a bit of a mask, really, for hiding what is in reality quite a sensitive person, I suppose, a bit of a lost boy at the end of the day. And, um, and yeah, and that was kind of fun to play and, and kind of eke out through the series. And, and that was something that the writers themselves were really keen on. I think when I first auditioned for the part, I very much came in leading with all that. And they were really anxious to, to kind of let me know as the, as the process went on, like, this isn't who he really is. Like, but I'd only seen the first one or two episodes at that point. So I hadn't seen the kind of the, the, the long arc, I guess. And, um, and stretching that out into this season, yeah, it's a real kind of development, I suppose. I mean, the second season incorporates the, the pandemic um, in a way that doesn't feel too heavy-handed, but it certainly provides a context for, for the show, which I think is uh, a nice way of kind of managing that. Um, they wanted to make reference to it, but they didn't want it to be about COVID, you know, to an extent, you know, I, I, I guess we're all a bit sick of it, you know, yeah. um, um, by this point. I thought it was so yeah, clever so- the way the way it does deal with the pandemic because you you're right it kind of deals with the fact of people coming back from working from home as an issue yeah. which I think is so interesting because yeah, it, yeah. it is an issue isn't it Yeah exactly I mean at its core our, our show is a is a workplace drama I suppose and it's about power structures and, and dynamics within a modern workplace and all those things are very relevant now with this kind of new landscape of working and 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 yeah the show really kind of um, leans into that a little bit and I suppose yeah the, the second season starts with all these young characters kind of trudging their way back into the office and and bringing with them whatever trauma or complications they might have kind of carried for the last couple of years and and for Robert in particular I think for him you know like you were saying from the first season he really is a people person in many ways despite being kind of quite shy on the inside extrovertly he, he kind of uh, is drawn to people and that's where he gets his validation from and and so I think the, he would have felt the pandemic as, as keenly as anyone, I think, you know, being locked up and, and not being kind of, not having anyone to bounce off. And I think that probably led to a lot of introspection, a lot of looking in the mirror. And, and it might have done wonders for him, really, because he was in a very kind of confused, dark place by the end of the first season. And he's actually now managed to kind of make some mature choices about his, you know, whether it's abuse of drugs and alcohol and stuff like that. And maybe some just you know, positive choices for who he is as, as, as a guy, as a, as a person. Uh, you know, I think he's, I think he's emerged with more humanity and more kindness. But if you were hired on the basis of being the guy you were before, then what do you do now? And, and I think, you know, um, I'd like to think in general that the show itself, both in the first season and the second, is at its heart like a coming of age story. And, and in the first season, it's about these young people working out who they are and, and who they want to be and they just so happen to be making those discoveries in a really toxic environment. And if you follow that notion onto the second, then it's about those same young people having a bit of a better idea of who they are and um, a bit of a better idea about where they want to go, but working out if those two things are compatible, you know, and, and if they can be the person they want to be and do the thing they want to do, or if this kind of industry, uh, this profession is such a kind of predatorial one that it kind of forces you to change if you want success and 
and what's the cost of that success to you uh, personally, I guess. And uh, I think Robert is kind of struggles with that as much as anyone. Yeah, it feels like series two is a whole new, like fresh slate for like for the whole, almost like for everyone involved. All the characters like they're they're kind of in a different place in a way, and and, and Robert in particular. Like for example, like the, the relationships that we saw in the first series, which was so fascinating, like with Gus, um, mm-hmm. you know, his roommate, and um, with Yasmin, that 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 fascinating kind of S and M almost. Yeah, yeah, going yeah, on. yeah, But as series two begins, everyone, it's 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 quite bold, and I thought the way that they just kind of yeah almost ignore all that and go straight into a whole new set of things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we noticed it as actors because like a lot of the characters are kind of quite disparate in this season. They're yeah. always they're all kind of following their own path in a way, and uh, and we noticed it, you know, most kind of keenly just because we weren't on set with each other as much as we were the first time, you know. But that's also, you know, we, we got to meet new characters and, and you know, obviously it, it's seen through the lens of these young people, but it really is like an ensemble show in, in the truest sense. Like there's a lot of people, there's a lot of cast members and a lot of kind of dynamics at, at play in every episode. And, um, uh, but it, I agree with you, it, it is bold. I think they were really kind of, uh, Mickey and Conrad, the writers were really kind of interested to like explore space with a tv show which is like the great kind of privilege you get with making a long form mm-hmm. television show is that you can use time to your advantage if you want and some really great shows do an amazing job of like coming back for a new season and it's like seconds after the, the last yeah. one finished yeah which can also be really bold and really powerful but i think they were interested in like what is what, what would space mean in this world and for these people what do these people look like two years on they're, they have a secure position at work, whereas the whole kind of um, drama, I suppose, and the, the stakes of the first season was, will they get a job? And now what does it look like if these people are kind of a few rungs up this kind of power dynamic and they're, they're, they're kind of a little bit more secure on the ladder, but only as secure as you can ever be in that world, you know? And um, yeah, I, I think it is kind of bold and, and it's quite a kind of a fresh choice, I suppose. Um, the the whole show, like, it feels incredibly authentic. I mean, I know absolutely nothing about this whole world of banking, etc. Um, <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> yeah, but you don't need... But what you do feel is it feels incredibly hectic, whirlwind, and, you know, the whole show has that quality to it. Like, like about a minute in, you know, you're thrust into this very hectic world. And I was interested, like, even the sound of it, like, there's conversations going on you can hear in the background yeah yeah don't yeah, be yeah. made is it what is it like acting in the middle of all that are, are you aware as the actor in the middle of it or is it a bit of a whirlwind for you as well or actually is it a fair, like a fairly normal set and you just do your stuff i mean it kind of yes and no it sort of it's, it changes really but i'm glad you kind of noticed some of those things i think again that comes from mick and conrad that that's all part of their vision for the show really and a lot of that kind of soundscape work is done in post really and so we you know we can't really take any credit for that like a lot of um yeah, there's always conversations happening in the background on mm. the trading floor, which sometimes there's absolute gems that you could miss. And, and it's kind of almost worth kind of going back and hearing little things that yeah. are kind of bu- bubbling around the, the trading floor. And a lot of that is done in ADR in post, which I think is it like they, the Mickey and Conrad who kind of produce the show as well, they they really see ADR in, in quite a unique, unique way for me as an actor. You don't see it often. They see it as a massive like creative tool, which they can kind of almost have another swipe of the show with, mm. you know, you know, six months after it was uh, made, you know, and really kind of enrich it and add stuff to it. Um, and also, it's, I think, a massive part to play the, uh, the soundtrack as well um, by Nathan Mickey. Like, he's, I mean, he's uh, really smart, I think, and he's made a really kind of fresh sound to the show that really kind of, it, it chugs along, I think, and, and it really gives it like a like an internal sort of rhythm 
And, um, but yeah, it, 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 when you're the actor, sometimes like, you know, often you do club scenes in the show and you're in completely silent rooms because obviously they can't have the music playing. Yeah. And so more often than not, it feels like a con- contradiction to actually do those things. And um, you've kind of just got to fill the gaps in your head, I suppose. Um, the other thing, one of the unique thing about the show, I feel, is that it weaves the way it weaves sex into the fabric yeah. of these people's lives feels incredibly uh, modern and current. Like you know, because I think, speaking as an old man, like the younger generation, don't they kind of don't define themselves and they just kind of, you know, have sex for pleasure when they want all of that dating apps, etc. It really touches upon that. Almost for me, that's almost more important than the, to the show than the whole banking situation. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Again, what is it like doing those scenes? Those scenes of, shall we call them, intimacy, which are in every, pretty much every single episode, and a lot of them involve you. What's it like being doing the, that stuff? I mean, it's interesting. You know, it's like it's always, um, you know, they're all different. Really. You can't, it's not really a, a catch-all kind of thing. Uh, you kind of have to approach each one with its own kind of um, process and sensitivity. And, and, um, and yeah, I mean, it's certainly a test of, of you as an actor and you as a person in, in kind of, how confident you're prepared to be. Um, but we're kind of lucky in a sense that we have a, a really good support network around us and and, and us as a as an ensemble cast. Um, you know, we're quite experienced in it by now, I suppose, having made two seasons of the show. And so um, you do sort of, uh, you know, it, it's all about kind of communication and, and support. And obviously that's been a big debate in the industry uh, over the last couple of years. And having experienced it firsthand, you know, it's... Um, it's just for me. It's it's, it's it's a no-brainer. It's a complete necessity, really. Um, and I mean, for us as well, the goal is to make you know dynamic, intimate scenes that that have meaning. You know, that have you know that have stakes and um, and that express something about about the people involved. You know, because obviously the show has this real kind of financial drive, and and it's 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 driven by like materialistic goals, right? And in a way, you can kind of use the sex as a metaphor for all of that as well you know mm. i'd like to think that almost every sex scene in the show feels like a like a transaction of power you know and that's not to say that it can't be romantic and it can't be tender as well but it's still an exchange of something and uh and we aim for those scenes to always come away from them knowing more about one or both of the characters and and something has gone on between them that you know that as i say there's been an exchange of, of some kind and um, and yeah, we you know obviously like you can intellectualize it all day long, but ultimately like when you get there, it can be a very silly and strange and bizarre thing, and it's never how it looks on screen, obviously. And I won't be the first actor to ever say that. It's often like complete the opposite of what you'd imagine, especially when you've been doing it for like four hours. <laughs> um, like you know, there's a, I think there was a scene in the in the first season of the show where it was kind of like I suppose the beginnings of like a, a threesome, I guess. Which everyone was very excited about. I mean, that <laughs> me and me and Maurice and Mahala laughed about that still because it was exhausting because <laughs> it took like seven hours took like seven hours to shoot, and by then there was there was like there was nothing exciting about it whatsoever, you know. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, it's never how it seems, um, but you know, we always try and focus on the right things with it, and um, and yeah, try to to make the best of it, I suppose. It's interesting because Lena Dunham, who who directed the first episode, didn't she? The pilot and was kind of heavily yeah, involved. Yeah, did, yeah. So with, I feel like girls yeah. did that, you know, with the, the sex scenes and girls were absolutely were yeah. so clever and so integral to the to the story 
that and i feel like yeah, this yeah. Has the same thing really that- absolutely i think i think lena was a was a pioneer for that really uh in terms of like changing on tv at least like changing the, the landscape of kind of sex and, and intimate scenes and and um and just making a brand of kind of uh of of sex scenes like that that, that feel recognizable and that feel relatable and that don't seem staged you know because like for, for people in their lives it's 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 a you know it's a fundamental part of human life and you can't ignore that but also it's a complicated one and it's it's got texture to it and it's there's all different types you know and, and mm. shapes and sizes of, of of intimacy and um and you're kind of missing a trick if you don't kind of go for gold with all that and try to explore as much as you can and um and and paint like an honest picture and i think that's what resonates with audiences and i think sure like we're we're in a, in a tv climate where there's lots of it at the moment and you know there's always debates around it and stuff like that but if you as i say if you go if you go in aiming for the right things and you have the best intentions then hopefully uh you're always doing something that is meaningful and it's not um you know it's not cheapening anything you know? mm, absolutely do you let, let me ask you this though do you understand what the hell is going on with your banking <laughs> with your banking um you know kind of storylines and all of yeah. that jargon or, and do you have to know does it matter do you have to actually know well, how yeah. all this stuff works i mean it's funny i'm almost the wrong person to ask because i used to give the writers a load of stick in the first season because like i never had any to say <laughs> it felt like like i always felt like they didn't trust me with it or something like that because i i probably because robert was far too busy doing other stuff but it felt like i never really did that much banking but um but no like to answer your question like i think we all understand as actors that the 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 banking world and the finance jargon is uh the context rather than the subject you know like it's that's not what our show is about but it's it's something that frames what happens within our show and um and I think, you know, it, there's nothing particularly novel about that. Like there's plenty of industry-based television shows, whether it's, you know, Casualty or The Bill, you know, it, like hospital dramas, lawyer dramas, like it's it's a fairly uh, standard thing. But in actual fact, you you kind of give the audience the benefit of that for you. You know, uh, you don't need to kind of undermine them by explaining everything. The audiences are used to jargon. And, yeah. and as long as it's played properly, they will follow it. And I think for us as an actor, you, you have to focus on, uh, of course, you know, you do your best and you kind of endeavor to try and like find out what things mean because mm. you want to try and do things authentically and, and as well as you can. But at the end of the day, the first and foremost thing you need to know is just the stakes of it. And if you understand the stakes, if you understand the consequences, then you can play that, you know, as an actor and and um, and you can throw that across to someone on set and you can and you can create that atmosphere. And if you do that, then hopefully everyone's on board anyway and everyone and everyone can follow it. Yeah, absolutely. I love the fact that they don't really explain to the. To, like, there's almost <laughs> yeah. no exposition in this in this drama. It's, it's no. one of the most exposition-free dramas I've ever yeah, seen. Yeah, and that's so clever how that how, how that works. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, would you like this to be an on? I mean, a, a long-going and a long-running series? Like are you that are you into it that you know could be something you you return to? Um, yeah, absolutely. I think you know. Obviously, you never know in in this game like what's going to happen next, and you kind of just um, you have to try and go with the wind a little bit and you know it's it's, it's part of the it's one of the joys and one of the annoyances of, of being an actor like you never know what's around the corner if anything is around the corner but um but no we've been making this show for a couple of years now and um and we're all genuinely close you know we we really do get along and and we're all passionate about the show and you know it, this was our first kind of 
real thing for for the majority of us, um, you know, especially like the young cast that were that were leading the show. Like all four of us were had come out of drama school within like a year of being of getting the part, you know. And so um, we couldn't believe that we were there and we've been given this amazing kind of chance, I suppose. And so we like really, really wanted to, to do a good job. You know, we really cared about that. And and that still kind of stays with us now. It's, it's a show that means a lot to us. And it's kind of, you know, shaped the last couple of years of our lives. And um, and so, of course, yeah, we, we, we'd definitely be up for doing more. And um, and I think the writers would as well. But to be honest, like that's you know, it's, yeah. it's far above my far above my day grade. But um, yeah. so so we'll, we'll have to see. But um, yeah. but yeah, I think I, I think you know. Long story short, I think there's uh, I think there's more for us to to explore. Yeah, and we should say, and, and you're getting fascinating roles. I know you're in You and Me coming up, which is the Russell T yeah. Davis produced um, yeah. series. Yeah. I I saw him recently. He said it was going to be fantastic. He was very excited about it. Um, oh, that sounds like they haven't really told us the full story of what's going on in that show. Is all I'm going to say. Is that right? Am I right that there's? Uh, yes, I, I, <laughs> I have to be mindful of what I. Yeah, say. sorry, I'm not trying to get uh, you in trouble. Yeah, no, no, yeah, I'll, I best stay stunned. But, uh, but yeah, no, that was a that was a real joy to make, and you know, working with and and, and in service of like a TV legend like that was really great, and he's as lovely as everyone expects him to be and uh and yeah i'm really excited about that that will come to uh to tv hopefully at the end of the year um and yeah i'm really excited yeah. to see what people think of it and you've made this film with oh my god this cast like christian bale <laughs> gillian anderson robert duval <clears throat> timothy spool charlotte gainsbourg toby jones simon McBurney. Yeah. what the i mean yeah. What, i mean yeah I, what can you say about that <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i mean it was yeah, it was it, it was as mental. I, I had the same reaction as you. To be fair, like it was absolutely mental, and um, I loved it. It was one of the one of my favourite things I've ever done. It, it was out at the start of the year. Uh, we shot in Pittsburgh for two months, and and um, it was just brilliant. And all of those people, despite being absolute established legends, were incredibly kind and welcoming, and and didn't make me feel as uh, as much of uh, as an imposter as I should have done. And um, and yeah, it's a really exciting film. I think it's you know it's a kind of a, a very gritty, intense gothic thriller, and um, and I mean yeah, just as you say that list, they're the best. So I think we're, we're in safe hands, and um, yeah, it was just a it was just a joy to to be amongst them, to be honest, and and uh, I can't wait to see it. Uh, me neither. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Brilliant. Thanks, Harry. It's uh, so uh, great to talk to you, and uh, uh, I can't wait to see the, that film and the rest of industry. Cheers. My pleasure. Thank cheers. you. Cheers. Thank you. That was Harry Lawty and time now for this week's reviews. And I think we begin with Andor, which has Disney Plus back in the Star Wars business once again. This one focusing on Cassian Andor, one of the least essential characters in the entire (laughs) Star Wars canon. However, despite that fact and the fact that the show sounds perpetually indecisive, uh, have Lucasfilm managed to kind of slide a low-key excellent show under our noses while no one was looking? Beth, were you interested and or excited (laughs) (laughs) oh yes color me both color me both interested and or excited uh by andor i was not to be like oh i am like i was interested in this from the off i've really liked rogue one and i will fight anyone that says otherwise (laughs) despite your deflating intro i do find diego luna as cassian andor to be a very compelling interesting complex 
Star Wars man. Um, <laughs> was it? Well, because if you think about kind of recent iterations of leading men in Star Wars, you've got what Boba Fett, you've got Obi Wan, who didn't just didn't do it for me in that show. You fucking Ficus, I'm telling you. <laughs> I was going to say you were a big fan, though, James. <laughs> um, even with like the Mandalorian, you know, there's like a subtle kind of heroicism to him but he's essentially a man in a helmet whereas this is a real flesh and blood human man fighting a resistance he's got a real cause behind him um we know where it's going you know everyone it, i don't think this is a spoiler to say everyone dies in the end they do yes rogue one. not at the end of this series not but at the, at the end, end of, of rogue one yeah yes. so you know his fate's been drawn but I'm still interested to see where he's going to go with this. Um, I've only watched the first episode so far. It was a tight 30, 40 minutes this episode, so instantly on board. Hmm. Uh, could I tell you what was going the fuck on? No, <laughs> but really enjoyed it. I'm really keen to see where it goes. I really felt like you were instantly walking into this world that Tony Gilroy had created and instantly felt uh, not at home there, that's not what I mean, it's not a particularly welcoming place, but it feels lived in beyond, you know, tinkering around with droids and things. It it was such a thoroughly constructed, kind of lovingly built world that he moves through. Fascinated by the characters, by the design of the worlds as well. There's a whole community of kind of rogues and people kind of operating in the shadows that you get to meet in the first episode. I haven't seen it, but it feels like The Wire. It just feels like a big, <laughs> It feels like this massive ensemble cast. You don't really understand what they're saying and what the fuck is going on, but goddamn you riveted. Um and it just felt like that. You might you meet I swear, at least like 15 characters in this first episode. You meet so many people mm. and you're just like, well, okay, okay, I'm sure we'll know more about them. There's like really intense kind of naughty dialogue between people that you're meeting for the first time and you just dropped in and you're like, okay, this is this is how this section of the Imperial Empire works, I guess. And it comes down to kind of pencil pushing and, and scandal and cover up. And I don't think it's about what they're saying it's about, but it's still super interesting. I think it's a great role for Diego Luna. I've always enjoyed him as screen presence. I loved him in Iti Mama Tambien. And he's kind of, I feel like he's more at home doing stuff on his home turf, but this feels like a really great role for him. And I find him super interesting. I like that there were regional accents in this film. I'm sure there have been a few along the way, but you've got Scottish, you've got... I feel like you've got a Scouse in there somewhere. Yeah. No one from Swindon yet. A lot of, no a lot of Scottish. Yet. A lot of Scottish. A lot yeah. of Scottish. Um, I like that there's not subtitles in this and you kind of have to piece it together. It doesn't... It just doesn't feed you anything. Unlike Boba Fett, where it fed you fucking everything. <laughs> if there was like a stone on a floor, that stone had a whole uh, backstory and would <laughs> probably get its own origin episode further and on the way whereas this just drops you in and you've got a flame and I think it's great it's got a beautiful score production values are great I'm really into it I'm really enjoying it so wow. far one episode in. did you what? particularly enjoy the man with the anvil <laughs> did I drummer anvil man yes I did <laughs> I love the big birdie guy that was just like just been told to stand here yeah brilliant yep. fucking Vetch. brilliant yeah just, I've just been told to stand here. Like, I was like, this is Star Wars. What am I watching? Yeah. This is amazing. I just love it. It's bold. It's taken a... Bold. 
Bold? Bold. Bold? Lavish. Bold. Lavish. <laughs> Not lavish. Extraordinary. <laughs> it's quite lavish. It gets more lavish as it, it gets more on. lavish. Yeah. Okay. Like grimy, lavish grime. Lavish but, yeah. grime. Well, it's lavish with locations. Yeah. As we said, location, location, location <laughs> with this. Because like they are off the volume and they are off yeah. the volume. Well, there is a very big matte painting, I feel, in the... Uh... There's Yeah, but in episode four, this is kind of not really a spoiler because four obviously hasn't aired, but they literally walk across a mountain because they can, because they're on location on a mountain. Awesome. And I'm just yeah. like, yes, yeah. you go. But yeah, I'm, re- I'm just really on board. There's like a flashback sequence that reminds me of a film I really love called Monos um, about kind of a community of young kids kind of like running rogue in the forest and what that <laughs> oh, kind yeah, that of film looks like. Brilliant. That film is yeah. brilliant. Yeah. Um, yeah, really I enjoyed yeah, it. I, I, didn't like the flashback stuff, I have to say. Okay. That was my, my main gripe would be that I found it distracting, kind of laboured, and took away, and just as you were getting into it, it was a classic example for me of when the flashback structure goes wrong, because right. you're re- I'm really, I was really into the world they're building of this, gro- very, very much Blade Runnery to begin with. Yeah. The whole, yeah. him visiting the brothel. Yeah. yeah. And very Blade Runner. The whole sequence is total Blade Runner rather than Star Wars, which was interesting. Um and then establishing his character and his world and his relationship with the guy who's jealous of him and his friendship with the other woman and um, his stepmom, played Fiona Shaw, mm-hmm. I mean, incredible. So all of that I found fascinating. But I found it a little bit, but I did find the, so I found the flashbacks annoying and got in the way. And I also found the first couple of episodes slightly plodding. If, I, if I'm honest. Deliberate or ponderous? Deliberate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but then episode three is when it all came together for me. Episode three, I thought, we re- when Stellan Skarsgård arrives, mm. and yeah. Stellan Skarsgård is just the it best. It picks up the pace, yeah. He is just... He can enliven and uh, uh, shine in every situation. Mm. Um, he's so good. And you assume, because it's Stellan Skarsgård, from his recent casting, you assume he's going to be like a villain, or I did anyway, but... Spoiler alert. <laughs> it's not spoiling because it's literally aired because oh, we're a week after it oh, went okay. out. But, but I've watched it yet. Anyway, uh, he's, he's that turns out to be a good guy mm. and, you know, recruiting um, Diego Luna, etc. So, and he's, and he's, even then, he's like really like commanding and for, He's just phenomenal. Um, But I loved, you're right about the accents. I love, people like, people pop up, British actors pop up, like Alex Ferns, who was Trevor in EastEnders, (laughs) pops up. (laughs) Gary Beadle, he was even old ex-EastEnders character, (laughs) pops up, he played Paul Truman in EastEnders. Then Denise Goff arrives, who's like a, proper massive acting, theatrical acting legend, in quite a small role so far. Um, James McCardle, another great theatrical actor, who's the guy who's annoyed and jealous and all of that. Um, But by episode three, I really started to um, uh, get on with it and really started enjoying it. And I I am now officially gripped. I I had a long discussion the other night with an industry professional who knows people who worked on this show. And we were talking about how the thing you have to get over, and this is definitely true personally for me, with all of these like um, Star Wars spin-off things, is there's so many of them now. We've reached a point that you have to kind of almost like totally try and forget that all of this stuff is just content to fill up time on Disney+. Plus. Yeah. And is it a good enough premise and is it a good enough actual show to get you beyond that whole thing? Because I, I find it difficult to get out of my mind that, oh, what is the point of this fucking thing, <laughs> yeah. basically, yeah. on all yeah. of them? Yeah. But I think in, in the scale of what is the point of this one, this feels like it has a point when you get to episode three, way more than the last two, at least, Star Wars spin-offs yeah. for me. Well, it also helps that this is 
aimed at a different audience. Yeah, it, it is more adult, yeah. isn't it's it? Not, and that, I enjoy It's not that. aimed at kids. Right. And not because it's particularly adult in terms of violence, except there is violence in it. And also there's sexual content in it. I think yeah. there's Star Wars' first shit and Star Wars' first <laughs> evidence of fucking, quite frankly, because there's a post-coital, there's a post-coital scene in I this. Know. And there's a brothel. So. Oh, completely. But there's no evidence of fucking. I mean, you know, there's a post-coital well, scene. Yeah, yeah so but, that, but, that's I mean, evidence. You're I'm alluding saying. to like, you know, there's no like... There's, there's no hardcore like sex scene in here that I'm aware of. Certainly not <laughs> there's the no bodily fluids. No, no, I'm not saying there is, it's but I'm just place. saying it's, it's only, but place. also from a pacing point of view, oh, like yeah. the kids would be having absolutely none slow. of this. It is quite slow. Because it is quite ponderous. Ponder, yeah. And I must say like watching this, I was, I, I watched the first two and I, did, I got to the end of the second one. I was like, yeah, like it's a bit drab <laughs> and it's taken its sweet time to do really anything. <laughs> and <laughs> and I'm still not sold on Cassian as a character. Right. Like I like him more now. Like so and I talked we talked about this endlessly. So we've already recorded the Andor spoiler special if you haven't already subscribed emperoronline.com slash spoiler specials if you want to listen to our Andor spoiler special it's the first one there will be many more to come uh, and we talked about it a little bit there it's like so Cassian Andor is a character so T- Tony Gilroy has created this series Tony Gilroy was the man who essentially took Rogue One mm. off Gareth Edwards. Yeah, he Gareth, fixed it. Well, fixed is a term you could use. He certainly stole it. So Gareth oh! Edwards was making a film and Disney parachuted in Tony Gilroy to turn it into something that they wanted it to be as opposed to what Gareth wanted it to be. Now, whether that was a good thing or a bad thing remains to be seen. Well, I uh, think... Ro- the, the, well, I'm going to get into this argument. I know you've brought it up. Oh, I, I go think on. it's a good thing. I think it, well, the film... You, you made, don't know what Gareth was going to make. I know, but the film we've ended up with is really good. So, it's yeah. Really and, good, I, and, and, and particularly like the ending and sure. all that stuff. Which, and if you go to which, America... And yeah. buy the DVD, you will see there is only one quote on the box, and it just says "triumphant James Dyer Empire." So obviously, <laughs> I go. agree Here with you. So I'm a big fan of it, yeah. but obviously, what Gareth Edwards wanted to make was Black Hawk Down with Tie Fighters, and Disney wanted him to make something more commercial. And Tony Gilroy sort of struck a balance and came in and yeah. retrofitted it. Yeah. But he he That's did up. lots more stuff with Cassian Andor the character. So Cassian Andor, we're introduced with him, which is murdering the shit out of Danny Mays. So you know and that's all Tony Gilroy stuff mm. so this very much is the Gilroy version of Andor not the Gareth Edwards version of Andor and I'm more interested in the character seeing him now seeing his background seeing you know his the flashbacks to his sort of almost like his indigenous past that he was on this sort of yeah. like this this planet where they were running around with blow darts and whatnot uh, and how he came to to come up because he's like a low level he's not even really a criminal he's just a blue collar guy who does some shady shit on the side uh, and this is kind of like his everyday life it's almost like a workplace drama at times yeah. where he's just wandering around stripping ships for parts and doing stuff yeah. and I was watching the first episode and the second episode of the third episode and I was like I don't know what this show is I just have no idea what this show is but I think part of that is this is a long series it's 12 episodes so it, it can take its time and those first three episodes feel like one episode cut up into three parts so much so that it's, I think it's really jarring where they end but they did drop them all oh, at once um, the ending of episode one is so pointless oh yeah like, it's completely you're, building, you're yeah. giving us a final shot as if that's in any way it's like an it's like an yeah. untantalizing it's mad yeah, it's, it's absolutely mad right, but yeah. episode four I 
think is where it starts to take shape, which is why I think they gave press the first four episodes. Well, I think to it took shape in three. Well, I suppose it, it certainly it comes to some semblance of a conclusion in three, and then four, it almost starts the next chapter. And I think Gilroy's talked about it, it's blocks. Like the first three are a block, the second three are a block. Mm. Uh, so there's sort of thematic blocks in there. So like, I like this show. I don't love this show, but I appreciate they're doing something new. I love the fact that they're using locations. I, I like that they're trying something new in terms of pacing and audience, and there is a texture to it, and the world feels lived in. Uh, and I like that there's a moral ambiguity to this in a way that's more adult than that in Boba Fett or Mandalorian, which, again, they, they tend to be slightly more clear-cut in terms of morality, whereas this, they're not really good guys or bad guys that we've already encountered like so far. Wire. Like the wire. Everyone's just <laughs> doing their thing mm. and trying to get by, and, you know, uh, and I rather like that. And even your bad, you know, corporate security man, Cyril Sneer or whatever his name is. Oh, my uh, God. Did you just make a raccoon's reference? <laughs> I did make a raccoon's reference. His name's Cyril Khan, but I call him Cyril Sneer. Uh, even he, like, all he's guilty of is trying to get justice for his co-workers and being a bit of a job's worth. Like, that's his whole oh, deal. Oh, he is a raging job's Oh, he's worth. a bellend, but it, his actual motivation is kind of pure. I so. did kind of remember, like, you set up a desk and do some more work, and that was like a whole bit of a Star Wars show. I, I know, it. I know, it's true. Funny. Uh, literally, it's a, it's a Star Wars show where large scenes are dedicated to work ethic. Uh, it's like, this is... Mm. Un un unusual yeah. so yeah it's different it's new I'll definitely watch the rest of it not least of all because I have to for work but uh... <laughs> it's really well I just finally it's, it's it's very well directed by Toby Haynes who does a lot of Doctor Who Sherlock stuff and Tony Grewell can do no wrong in my eyes because Michael Clayton Gareth right, Edwards right. would probably disagree with you but... <laughs> I don't care about Gareth Edwards I'm sorry with all due respect Gareth Tony he Gareth made Michael Royal. Clayton which is one Michael, of the great movies saying, yeah. Michael Clayton is a fucking work of <laughs> it is a masterpiece it's one yeah. of the greatest films of all time oh, yeah. it's so, fantastic yeah. Tony Gilroy knows what the fuck he's doing yeah. and the music by Nicholas Patel of um, uh, Succession, Succession mm. is fantastic. The music is good. The music yeah. is good. And, and they have very un-Star un Wars-y music. Yeah. Mm, it is. It is very un-Star Wars-y, which yeah. is good. Anyway, Andor, first three episodes are on Disney Plus now. The fourth episode, which we have seen, drops on Wednesday? Sure, Wednesday. Um, next up, we have The Old Man, adapted from the Thomas Perry book, which stars Jeff Bridges as Dan Chase, a man with a very particular set of skills, as you've already heard. So this show also stars John Lithgow, Amy Brenneman, Alia Shawkat, uh, and as you've also heard, features an 11 minute sequence in which Jeff Bridges tries to repeatedly choke a man to death. Boyd, as someone who has almost certainly done the same. <laughs> What did you think of this? Stephen Frears in his yeah. sleep. Yeah. No, Stephen Frears did that on his own, on his own account. Um, yeah, this is interesting, isn't it? Because, um, you know, like, even though this is based on a novel, isn't it? By a 2017 novel by yep. Thomas Perry, I believe. Um, but when I started watching this, my first thought was, what they've done here is someone's almost someone sat down and gone. You know what we could really do with in the world of pink TV <laughs> is a thing with a with Jeff Bridges in it, yeah, yeah. and just milk the Bridges factor, yeah. to within an inch of its life, and just show Bridges in all his glory. Milk so, Bridges, milk Bridges. <laughs> so, pardon the expression. So, you know, I just feel like we're watching Jeff Bridges. I don't yeah. even think it's a character. Yeah, like those dogs. I feel like are his dogs. He shoots a man in the face I mean, in the I'll first five minutes. Okay, so I think Bridges is capable of that. Especially, you know, you're, he's being interviewed by you. He's probably thinking, oh, I've got to shoot someone. Fair enough. Uh, James dies, get annoying me. 
so I just felt the whole his whole tone of him and his world with the dogs and him helping his poor wife, you know, in, the, in those mm. flashback scenes, um, who's suffering from dementia and his medical checkups, all of that stuff, all of the kind of texture of his character was so peak Bridges. <laughs> and I love Jeff Bridges. So yep. I was like, I'm loving all that stuff. And then the whole plot, when that plot kicks in and the aforementioned scene you're talking about of violence, they really have to kind of just about stretch it so you believe that this kind of man in his mid to late 60s, mm. um, if not 70, uh, is capable of this stuff. And similarly, John Lithgow, and I love I love John Lithgow as well. He's another, like, you know, he's been, his Brian De Palma films alone are like phenomenal. Raising mm. Kane, genius, mad. Um, and, and to see him in this doing a very naturalistic kind of real world performance yeah. is great as well. So I so I love the whole idea and I feel like the people who've created have gone, well, we're going to just get these brilliant veteran actors and we'll build a show around them, even though it is adapted from a pre-existing novel. And it'll work. And I think it does work. I just think there's you get so much pleasure of watching these brilliant, brilliant people, Amy Brennan as well. Um, and the characters are interesting enough and the setup is is intriguing enough for it to to work. So yeah, it worked for me. And But particularly Bridges doing Bridges. I mean, fantastic. I mean, he's doing Bridges. He's doing Mike Ehrmantraut. He is doing Mike basically. Ehrmantraut to some extent. Yeah. He's just basically... But maybe Mike Ehrmantraut is Bridges. Yeah, <laughs> maybe that's it. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. I'd like to see a sort of grisly... Maybe that's for season two. Yeah. Um, he comes in. Yeah, I mean, exactly what you've said. It's it's Jeff Bridges in a grisly TV show. It's It just kind of sells itself. Um, I just... I'm always... I'm always so interested by the strategy behind... Is he hitman? Is that what we're calling him? There's yeah, somebody with kind of a power, like the way that they're able to operate, and the thinking behind, you know, the stuff with the trash cans and the rope and the guns, and and how he orchestrates, and he's so calculated, um, but has like tons of attitude as well. I find so interesting. I found the cast kind of varying in performances. Ali Shawkat, I was watching anything, and I love seeing her play it straight like she does here um she's really great Lithgow's obviously great as well but i mean it's like you said when, when was it 1966 he was asked 1963 and the lloyd bridges show or whatever his dad's show was called i yeah. mean it takes some resistance to not be in a tv show <laughs> up until now yeah, unless you're like tom cruise like every yeah. fucking everyone's been in a tv show now like it, for him to not and admittedly he's he's had to take a few years off but the fact he's managed to avoid television up until now mm. Is uh... just talking about this particular show. So this show started. It was in 2020. They stopped production for COVID, so I had to break for the better part of a year for that. And then Bridges was diagnosed with lymphoma. Yeah. And he had to recover from that. And then when he went into remission, he came out. So it took three years to finish this season. So, And given that this is all about coming to terms with your life, looking yeah. back on your past, like, like you've got to imagine it's got to be a pretty reflective thing for him, confronting his own mortality while making this show. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's just like works in the show's favour that it's quite a timeless story. It's, it's like yeah. a cowboy, isn't he? It's, um... oh, it's, it's a classic thing, isn't yeah. it? Like hard-bitten man of action has been in retirement for years and one his past catches up with them and like it's not i would say a, a groundbreaking story but what i liked about this and i touched on this in the interview it's like a i've never seen jeff bridges do a role like this and i know lots of talk about you know liam neeson bob odenkirk jerry action movies old men doing action sure but like you look at like the taken films and the editor let's just say the editors earn their money on those films <laughs> i remember there is a scene in taken three where where liam neeson climbs over a fence and there were 15 cuts 
as he climbed over there. 15 cuts. And you counted them. I did count them. I did count because I was, I was writing a feature on John Wick and I was counterpointing. There are 15 cuts where Liam Neeson climbs over a fence and yet Keanu Reeves storms through a nightclub and it's like one cut and the scene is like 15 minutes long. And I think this feels like more the second camp and i know there is a like a trend at the moment for sort of violence that is less sort of cinema violence and feels more like violence violence like yeah. born did this the born like doug lyman and paul greengrass they, they they really made work of this like if born kills someone with a pen he does it in real time you know yeah. and in this as i said in the interview there is an 11 minute sequence where he's <laughs> essentially fighting a guy in the desert yeah. and there's a bit it just goes on and they're just rolling around in the dirt and he's gradually choking him he's reaching around grabbing his jacket to choke this guy out and it's so primal and brutal and authentic and just upsetting yeah and almost like you know in saving private ryan where he drives the bayonet into that guy's chest and he's like no 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 and it's like it's the slow pace with which he kills him and it's just it, and i think that's had this had the similar sort of impact like yeah. it's the inevitability of it yeah and it's just brutal and the, there's a scene in episode two which i will not spoil but comes out of nowhere and it's just so jaw on the floor shocking there's a lot of that in there and i feel like yes you have the great bridges stuff you've got this interesting mystery where he's trying to work out why they want him why they're coming for him now can he get away from them what is the secret of his past and we keep flashing back to his past and seeing uh you know how he got to where he is uh so like so we, we fill in the gaps of who his character is as we go along and the flashbacks actually i think are less compelling than the modern day stuff but uh but it's an interesting story but i think he carries it partly through his natural bridges charm but also because he's so violent in this and so unpredictable in this that you're always kind of on the back foot thinking i don't know what the show is going to do next like mm -hmm. it really mm -hmm. and i think that's unusual frankly mm -hmm. so the actor who plays him in flashback reminded him. Look, I thought he looked more like David Tennant than he did. Um, <laughs> Bridges. Also, I mean, it has been done. It, it, it's Clint Eastwood, isn't it? It's, it is. Yeah, know, yeah. It's, it's yeah. Robert Redford in, in that yep. film, that David Lowry film. Oh, all of that is true. The old man and the gun. Love that film. Loved it. Love that. It's film, Bill yeah. Heck, by the way, who plays young Bridges. Also okay. a Coen Brothers veteran. He was uh, Ballad Buster Scrubs. Right, right, right. Yeah. Of course. Uh, so so the, yeah, there is a tradition of it, but um, you're right. It, it definitely. I like the they they make it seem very um, real and authentic that the the violent stuff all that yeah. stuff and in fact the whole thing feels real and authentic. Um, uh, the dogs win should win the acting awards so they're brilliant. Oh, they're good, the aren't they? So much. How yeah. they get them to do precise because they have to do some quite precise things. Yeah, like when he gets out of bed and one of them jumps into bed instead yeah. and then when they they stay there for what he tells them to go yeah. when he's about to kill the guy I mean, yeah, and he gives them he gives them kill commands in German yeah they're just, they're just <laughs> absolutely it. brilliant are they CGI yeah. maybe do you think they're CGI no I don't think they're CGI I don't. in yeah. fact I think he has said in previous interviews there have been there were there weren't just two dogs there were like ten dogs right, right. Uh, each, each one, there's a there's a climb there's a dog that's trained just to climb into bed there's a dog that's trained oh, just to man. rip oh, someone's brilliant. face off like, oh, I think like they're specialists okay. they have a job they know what they're the doing and they are consummate professionals yeah. <laughs> okay. Anyway, that is, of course, The Old Man, which airs on Disney Plus on the 28th of September. Finally, this week, we have Inside Man on BBC One, which stars Stanley Tucci as a death row detective and David Tennant as a hapless priest in over his head. Beth, as our Inside Man on this one, uh, does it live up to or indeed exceed the 2006 Clive Owen film of the same name? <laughs> I. You've completely thrown me there, James, because I don't... Have you never seen Inside Man with Clive Owen? I've never seen Inside walls Man. walls himself... Anyway, don't want to spoil that film. It's good. Watch it's it. There's also a Spike Lee film, Inside Man. There is. What are you both doing? Sorry. What are you both doing today? Sorry. 
Um, Do you like it, Beth? I'm, I'm just, I'm, I really like this show. Let's, let's start with that, shall we? <laughs> yeah, let's do that. We'll talk about the films later. I'm watching the episode. I'm going to be ever so careful what we talk about here because there are, and, and I'll, I'll start by saying that this first episode, um, Boyd will probably, has probably watched the whole thing and can see yes. otherwise, but the first episode of this is fucking wild. Absolutely wild. Can you talk about the prologue of this? The first scene on the, the train. The train scene, the tube train, yeah. Yes, yeah. that's a good place to start. And I'm glad you mentioned that because <laughs> so much happens in this mm-hmm. first episode that I forgot <laughs> what that opening yeah. sequence was. So we're yeah. all right to talk about right, we'll talk We can about talk about the first scene, yeah. Yeah. And I will say, as someone who is a woman and uh, is ever so slightly sick now of being reminded that I'm a woman through <laughs> television and film, um, from this like prolonged knee-jerk reaction to me too, I did start to bristle at the opening sequence of this show and then it completely spun and won me over. So it begins with the very um, moment of just toe-curling misogyny, um, harassment on a tube, and then it turns into, um, I thought it was going to be kind of a like a, a mass kind of outing of this person. It actually turns into something really cunning and interesting and not at all what you expect. And it just instantly asserts Dolly Wells as the... It is a great cast. Obviously, it's a great cast. It's a Stephen Moffat show. It's going to be a great cast. But she is instantly the takeaway from me from that opening scene. Um, just agency and she's elusive and she's um, like, she knows exactly what the fuck she's doing and will not take shit from anybody and does it in this like super compelling, interesting way. So that's that's it from, from the off. We've got this like horrible set piece that then turns into something interesting and sets off her relationship with Lydia West's journalist. Lydia West, of course, from It's a Sin. She's um, a journalist who bears witness to how Dolly Wells kind of handles the whole thing. Um, and it sets off their relationship together. And then, oh God, you, you just got to strap in for this, to be honest. A lot got, happens. <laughs> yeah, you've got two serious, and obviously it's all going to come together, but at the beginning, two quite jarringly different narratives. You've got David Tennant, who is a, again a priest. He, he loves it. He loves the cloth. Um, he's on one side navigating through some very, very controversial thorny family issues in one side, not least a real piece of shit for son. I don't like the other son. The other son's really annoying. Just a very entitled son who just rubbed me up the wrong way. Uh, and then on the other played side... By, played by Stephen Moffat's actual son. Oh, just to say. Yeah, no, I think, no, like the, the part, the role, the mm. role yeah, yeah. is very annoying. Could, could have been kin to tell you about Stephen Sorry, Stephen. actual son. Yeah. Uh, so that's happening on one arm. You've got that happening. David Tennant, you know surface level charming wonderful uh and then on the other side you've got stanley tucci in prison he's been imprisoned for i don't think this is a spoiler to say but he's been imprisoned for murdering his wife or did he do we know i don't know i've only watched an episode uh and he is uh, a professional in criminology who's on death row uh irony and then uh 
that he's trying to find the perfect case to solve. He's basically being sent loads of like shady cases that they want to try and get him to solve, but he's got this really annoyingly strong moral compass and will only take something that he deems morally worthy um, to do. So we've got that happening over there. We've got David Tennant happening over there. Dolly Wells is in the middle of it. We can't really talk about what happens. Let's just say it all comes together in a shock reveal towards the end of the episode. Uh, And I, yeah, I'm really on board with this. I'm really on board. I did not love The Time Traveler's Wife as much as some people. (laughs) I'm the only one who loved that show. so I'm always, uh, you know, on and off. I, I love Dracula and I'm glad to see Dolly Wells back doing something else with Stephen Moffat off the back of that. Uh, great performances. It's just pretty bad shit. I think that's the only... I was not expecting it to derail in such interesting ways so early on. And yeah, my advice to watch this would just be to just strap in and just try and hold on for dear life um, without yeah. giving too much away but gripping storytelling really thrilling dry funny delivery which always wins me over as well really robust characters of which Dolly Wells um character is a um she's a teacher she's a tutor yeah mass tutor yeah yeah. yeah. um quite prim quite religious she's she was uh the takeaway for me she is phenomenal yeah yeah, absolutely and she again with no spoilers she does um she her character is the one that goes through the most like yeah. she has the most to deal with yeah in all kinds of ways and yeah. that brilliant that train sequence is so clever i think because you're you, you're it works as just as a, as, a, as a thing that happens clearly like men on trains abuse and pick on women and bully women and it dramatizes that very scarily yeah and then then but it establishes her character as being this as you say this woman with a very with with total agency and also a massive moral compass that mm. she will not be brooked from her beliefs and her stance and what she thinks is the right thing to do. Even if you could not get reception for Facebook Live in a tunnel. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh my God, I'm sorry. You just couldn't. Hold on. So it bothered well, me. Much. Hold on. Hold on. It depends. On, you know, on the Jubilee line, you can get pretty good coverage, like a, a lot of the way on the Jubilee line. Even mean, when you're underground. Though. When you're underground. Underground. 4G. Uh, honestly, people. I've made phone calls on. I've taken phone calls no. on a Jubilee line. All right, fully. fair enough. What happen. line were they on? Did they want to keep track of this? No, I'm not sure. But also, he was going. That was one of those lines that goes to the yeah, overground because it was like they end. came up. To, yeah. By the time they came out, they so, were so maybe it was quite thin. I think it was thin. <laughs> okay, I think, all right. I think we can clean. I'll that. let them off on that. Yeah, but that was that really all bugged right. me at the time. Right. Of course it did. Um, <laughs> so that establishes her particularly because there's they have to sell. This this show, which by the way is, I think it's Stephen Moffat's first. Well, I know because I said it last night when I was doing it. It's the first totally original thing he's done, t- totally from the mind of Moffat. Oh wow! Since coupling, because if you think about it, all the stuff he's done, Doctor Who, yeah. Sherlock, mm. Dracula, Dracula, the the Time Traveler's Wife, yeah. all previously yeah. IP, pre-existing yeah. IP. Yeah. And he said, like, he said to me, like, when I mentioned this, he said, by the way, it doesn't mean it's not any easier to write from pre-existing. I was like, no, no, of course, you know, you do, you know, that, that's at school. Yeah. But this is pure Moffat mind stuff. Mm. And yeah. it is got all of his, because he is so funny, so brave. I'm trying to use the word, avoid the word bold. <laughs> so his, yeah. his sense of humour is so dark and, uh, and almost like really kind of horribly bleak sometimes like he finds stuff very amusing yeah. that is really nasty and sick and twisted basically and that's all there up front in this show but also so the, i think the central idea of it is that 
everyone's capable of committing murder. That's the kind of like he's you know, that's the kind of driving idea behind it. When you're forced into such an extreme situation, particularly when you're thinking of your family and what you're driven to to protect your family. So there's that idea. Then there's the, this extraordinary two completely disparate yeah. worlds yeah. of the English small town vicar. And his lovely and his family. I did, I, I I quite like the sound. <laughs> you know, he's going off to a festival. He'll be fine. You see more of him later. Spoiler alert. And um, then and that world, this very English, you know, lovely, bright, sitcommy almost kind of you know domestic scene. Yeah. And then the 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 the, the jail in the southern of the state of America, yeah. which is this kind of sweltering hot place where this bizarre character where Stanley Tucci is fascinating character as you say the criminologist is solving crimes and has seemingly not only killed his wife but actually mutilated her quite badly mm. by the way they, they emphasize that point and his cellmate is this also extreme serial killing rapist with an eidetic memory <laughs> with eidetic memory and the whole setup is like how those two worlds intertwine as it goes on, is so interesting. It's such, I think, it's such a fascinating idea. You've just never seen. I've never. I can't, I'm trying to think mm. of what is it similar to. It's just not. There are bits of other shows. There are bits yeah, of serial they killer could things. Be shows in their own right. Yeah, the right. Yes, show. completely. It felt like channel yeah. hopping. It yeah, felt like channel exactly. hopping because I I saw Stanley Tucci in on Death Row as the Death Row detective. I was like, this is yeah, a CBS a procedural, a hundred percent. And I get this. And yeah. then, but then we switch from CBS procedural to this very almost British feeling. You you know, parochial crime situation yeah. where you've got David Tennant being all broad churchy and stuff yeah. as a pre and I'm like, these are not the same show. And then you've got the 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 Dolly Wilson early on with the, the beginning. I'm like, these are three separate yeah. shows and then two of them collide and then you realise where they but it's really discombobulated. Yeah. And there's a woman in a basement, which is all we can say. There is a woman yeah. in a basement storyline, which is a bit like Science of the Land. A little bit. That. And there's even and I'm David Arnold did the music to this and I he was there last night at the screening and I really wanted to ask him there's a bit where they pan up from the basement to to above ground that really sounds like Howard Shaw's music for Science of the Lambs. I'm pretty sure it must be like a little uh, okay. tribute to that yeah. I have to be honest and I alluded to okay, yeah, well, I got found the his score quite heavy handed like there was a bit where it's like very dramatic music this is over <laughs> the top and it's like okay <laughs> dial it down a notch dial it down a notch no, calm down I, I, just, I just felt it was a little bit they laid it on a bit thick the with the drama tune, music this, which yeah. is a traditional song which they do, which is sung by John Grant and you won't know who John Grant is I guarantee Correct. James Dyer but John Grant <laughs> is a brilliant singer songwriter yeah. uh, and the fact they've got him, he's a massive star um, to sing this song. He sings it brilliantly. Yeah. It's just another element of the whole thing. It is, the word is extraordinary, which is the word we, we, use, we use many, many it's times. It's extraordinary, but it's bold, case, it's lavish. All of those things. I loved it. I just, I just, and I had to, and luckily enough, because I was hosting the Q&A and I got to meet Stanley Tucci, who's my new best friend, obviously. <laughs> I got to watch the whole thing. And it, you just don't know where it's going to go. In like more than any other thing yeah. you can think of recently, you don't know how where it's going to go, no. how it's going to end, how it's all going to be connected. And it does stretch credulity. There are moments when you think, "Oh, come on, they wouldn't do that. Would they do mm. that?" But they sell it because he's got this cast, and he knows that certain, certain decisions are te ridiculous and terrible. Everyone yes. makes yeah. terrible decisions, yes. but he justifies it because on the spur of the moment, you kind of do sometimes make terrible decisions. Yeah, and it's true. It, there is there is a series of events here. And it's maddening to watch yeah. because it's like oh, it's a situation <laughs> spirals out of control so quickly because a character makes a series of 
idiotic decisions. But and it's it's frustrating, but equally it doesn't strain credulity too much because you think I can see how in the spell you could be that deeply stupid. Uh, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, it it, yeah, it 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 just works brilliantly. Well, Inside Man then comes to BBC One Wednesday. Well, how does it air, Boyd? Is so it, it is, is it once a week, every night? How's two, it work? Two Monday, Tuesday, yep. and then next Monday, Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Exciting, yeah, exciting stuff. Uh, what else is out this week that we haven't talked oh. about? There are a few things we yes. weren't able to do this week. Let's have a look. We have got. Uh, I mean, the biggest one is this England, isn't it? Which airs on Wednesday. Yeah, so that was delayed a week uh, Mm. by Sky because of the death of the Queen, and that does start on Wednesday the 28th. We're not allowed to... No one's allowed to review it until the day it airs because I think they're probably justifiably worried that... (laughs) I I have watched it. I've watched the trailer. Of course you have. (laughs) I see. (laughs) Because I I interviewed Ophelia Loverbond, who who brilliantly plays Boris Johnson's um, uh, wife, now wife, Carrie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, She is fantastic, I have to say. Yeah. but I think they're not. I know. I was going to say. I think they're worried that like political journalists are going to watch it and hold forth about it and all that kind of. There's a whole. It's a very yeah. big deal. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Isn't it for for basically for this show to happen? And I think everyone's assuming it's going to be scathing about Boris Johnson, etc. Uh, it's fascinating, yeah. But annoyingly, we can't review it. We so can't. I won't, I won't it, but Alas, yeah, that's there. Uh, <laughs> Reasonable doubt airs on Monday on Disney Plus. Yeah. What is that? <laughs> uh, I think it's a crime drama. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like it, doesn't it? Sounds it's about legal. a lawyer. Who, it's like about a, an outrageous yeah. lawyer who doesn't play by the rules. Ah, okay, that's that, that old chestnut. Yeah, uh, the Mighty Ducks Game Changers season two comes what? to Disney Char- Plus on Wednesday. Yes. Uh, what else? The Bad Batch season two also Disney Plus on Wednesday. If you are into your animated Star Wars stuff, and of course, as we have already heard, Industry series two yes. comes to BBC more, two on Thursday. Most much more important. Industry is a brilliant show, by the way. It's a fantastic, yeah. fantastic show. Yeah, series one was amazing. It is the the rudeness, the root, the sex scenes are astonishing. Um, yeah. The the drug taking scenes are almost as astonishing. <laughs> yeah. um, but the whole thing, but it, it, it even steps up a gear in oh the second God. series. Even I, I would say Oof. above the first. And Harry Lorty's, but they're, they're all, the whole young cast are fantastic. Yeah. So, and that's moved from BBC Two to BBC One. Oh, has Series it? One was on BBC Two. They've moved it to the late to the ten forty Tuesday night slot. That kind mm. of, you know, um, the Dolly Alderton show. What was that called? Was in that slot. Everything I know about love. Everything I know about love. Um, uh, Michaela Cole show was in that slot. So it's a, it's a good slot for an adult, okay. raunchy, yeah. very very ent- incredibly entertaining show. Industry is so I urge people to watch that. And I think the whole of the first series is on iPlayer as well. If you want to watch that. Do you want me to find out more stuff? No, that'll do. <laughs> you know, that, what, I, I'll tell you this. It's Enter Galactic. It's an animated show that's on Netflix. Have you heard about this? On oh, Friday. Oh, the Kid Coody yeah. one. Yeah. This is Kid Coody, yeah, um, has created it and voices it. And it's all about a kind of hipster artist moving into his dream apartment in Manhattan. Um, and it, on the voice cast, of Timothée Chalamet, no less, Jaden Smith and Macaulay fucking Culkin. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that is a good voice cast. The, the animation, I'm going to watch it. The animation style looks incredible. It does look. Avoiding, I guess, I agree. James here. But Never going to watch even it. As a, even as an animation non-fan, it does look It looks stunning. It's got yeah. that kind of uh, Spider-Verse exactly. kind of slightly poppy palette to it. Uh, yeah. 100%. It's yeah. great. There's also Jungle. Do you know about Jungle, which is an Amazon Prime Is video. it massive? It is a mass. It is massive. It's a British um, drama about the rap and drill scene, and it uses yeah, it's t- uh, literally made for you, James, <laughs> as the whitest man in the world, literally the whitest man. In the world. And it's got like actual performance from Tiny Temper, Big Nasty, all these people. Um, uh, yeah, 
lots of grime and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that sounded terrible. Uh, Amazing. Uh, oh my god, there's so much stuff that I've got to actually put it all in one list. I've just got to double check that I'm not missing anything. I'm sure. I'm sure we've covered it. I oh, feel like we've covered got, it. You just don't care anymore. I've lost. I've lost the world today. Right. What's our pick of the week? Fine. I know what Boyd's is. It's the one with his separated at birth, yeah. identical hand twin, Stanley Tucci. Inside man. I'm, yeah. I'm going to fly the flag for Andor. Oh. Yeah. Fine. Well, then I shall fly the flag for the old man because mm. I'm contrary like that. Anyway, that's it for this week's show. If you'd had a possibly tolerable time, then a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts would be an excellent way of showing your appreciation. Uh, if you'd like to share your thoughts and comments, please do so at Pilot TV Pod or with us individually at James C. Dyer, at Boyd Hilton, and at Beth K. Webb. Next week, I don't know what we're going to do, but we might seize the opportunity to talk about this England. Uh, the final stretch of The Walking Dead, I think, starts, which I'll be watching at least. Uh, other yeah. excellent things on the schedule include The Bear, which the finally bear. lands on these shores. The TV adaptation of Let the Right One In comes. But also, more importantly, Mike Flanagan's The Midnight Club, I think, airs, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah which is, no screeners yet. Which we haven't seen yet, which is very exciting indeed. Hopefully they'll let us see that one. Uh, half of these shows are almost certainly embargo, but we'll launch ourselves over the edge of that particular bridge uh, when we come to it. So find out next week. Pilot out. <laughs>